Okay. Okay, how about now? Andy, give me another check, one, two. Hello, testing, testing, testing. Are you guys planning to go on the audio? Yeah, you are on audio, Andy. Everybody could actually hear you now. Yeah. Okay, it's up to you. I'm okay. <laughs> Alfred Galistian is like, leave it alone. <laughs> okay. And I don't have to smile. <laughs> Andy, we, everybody loves your smile, man. What are you talking about? Thank you. Okay, Thank Andy, you, Andy can, you hear, can you hear us like perfectly? Yes. So, okay. so audio is going... Great. Everybody says it's perfect. Okay, yeah. everybody says it's perfect. There we Let's go. Let's not touch anything anymore. Guys, uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're just talking to it. Thank you, Our guys. tech guys. Thank you, guys. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> all right. Um, Finally, all the anticipation. Uh, how many minutes were we in? We're 42 minutes in. Okay, we're 42 minutes in. Guys, we are tremendously, tremendously sorry, but... Um, you know, we were having some technical difficulties. We were able to get video. We weren't able to get audio and then we were able to get audio and then we weren't able to get video. It's a yeah. kind of a cluster of a situation here. Unfortunately, the Armenians who invented color TV and MRIs and everything else aren't here tonight to help us. <laughs> <laughs> Basically that, that's, that's what's going on. But, uh, we have a special audio guest with us today. Um, and we haven't done an audio podcast since episode one yeah one through ten i think yeah. one through one through seven so um special guest with us mr should i should i use the last name andy uh, yeah you sure just, just you hesitated just, for a second uh, well we're just trying to crack a joke and i'm not a comedian so <laughs> so yeah do what you think is good for your show you know what our special guest today is international superstar and international singer Mr. Andy. Andy, thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday to, uh, I would say, join us in the virtual world, but literally join us via audio world. Yes. Well, it's it's technical world. Everything can go wrong. I'm just happy to be able to hear you guys. Yeah. And you know what? We're, we're happy to hear your voice as well. Um, I mean, there, there's been a lot of stuff going on, you know, throughout the world, obviously, but... Um, mostly in our motherland, our fatherland, our homeland, as you know, um, Artsakh, which we all consider part of Armenia, is under attack by Azerbaijan. And um, and obviously, we, I, none of us mean to put you on the spot or anything, but there's been a lot of people going back and forth saying, you know, where are Armenian celebrities? Where are Armenian singers? Uh, where are the people that were, that, you know, we were there for during their shows and their concerts and, you know, why can't we hear from them? Um, and this is, you, you know, this is probably one of the first interviews you've done quite some time. Am I correct, Andy? Yes. Yes, it's true. Since the COVID, obviously, uh, Shane and my wife and I have been in uh, total quarantine because we have el elderly in our family and we are responsible for their health, so we're trying to stay safe in the safe zone so we don't hurt them. They can't afford to get sick. So, yes, I haven't done much of uh, interviews. Everything we've done has been online. And But before everything, Armand, Arno, and Edgar, I'm so happy to talk to you guys. Vail told me three brilliant uh, 
guys have a great show and I said I want to be on that show and specifically the timing is perfect because I first of all I wanted to personally thank uh, God knows 100 maybe 150,000 uh, LA Armenians who showed the pride of Armenians in, in Los Angeles got the attention of the world by marching and I'm just so proud of each and every one of them, especially the youth, because I'm sure this is their first experience in trying to grab the attention of the world. And the good news is we did. Uh, obviously, my wife, Shane, and I, uh, from the first day of the conflict, the war, we've been posting on our Instagram or on Twitter, on Facebook, and a lot of times we try to do stories because I think more people see stories. I'm not sure if you guys agree with me. Uh, the stories get more attention. And the idea has been to attract as much attention from the non-Armenian world. Because Armenians, we know about this. And we tell each other and everybody was ready and willing to do whatever it takes to bring back our peaceful uh, country. But uh, it seems like a lot of people also who are not on Instagram, for example, uh, miss our posts and they were asking for us and they have all the right to ask for us because we are, we have, we're all in the same team. We all want what's good for Armenia, which is peace, total peace. And I'm here to tell you that maybe we should be more active on Facebook because it seems like a lot of uh, Armenians, specifically in Glendale and uh, North Hollywood area, they're more on uh, Facebook and they miss a lot of our posts. But regardless, I think by this weekend, uh, we made our point. The whole world is talking about it and I'm hoping and praying that something good will come out of this and, and this um, ceasefire for as little it, it is can continue and the next thing would be total peace in Armenia. Of course, of course. And and look, we, we all know you're, you're, you, your wife, Shane, you're both humanitarians, you're all about peace. Um, kind of like Armon mentioned, uh, Arno mentioned earlier, as far as I, I think a lot of our Armenians, especially in Los Angeles, because you have such a wide uh, uh, reach as far as international. the international community, you know, from from the Middle East to Asia, everybody everybody knows you, knows of you. You've you've performed globally, so that's why I think the expectations as far as uh, you versus maybe some of our other local artists who may not be as internationally known is a little bit higher, and I think that that's where kind of where uh, the discrepancy was of, of the people wanting to know, well, since you have such a wide audience, if you'd be willing to be a little more outspoken about it. And, in, you know, a lot of people, there's people out there who do things on the back end. Not everybody posts everything on Instagram or Facebook. Um, people may send in petitions to Congress or to uh, to the White House or whatever. There's There's many, many different ways of addressing this issue. It's not just about posting on social media. But in your case, I think the expectations that the people have is, well, Andy should be doing more. And that's that's a lot of the questions that we got. 
as far and you've kind of touched on that as far as what you've done and what you plan on doing but if you can go elaborate a little bit more as far as how you think what type of impact you can make and what type of reaction you've received from some of the international community as far as are they believing this or do they think there's a propaganda involved here or what type of reaction have you been getting from the international community well you're right uh Like I said, we are all on the same team, and we are all working hard to bring the attention, to get the attention of the world, because this conflict, this war, this fighting, will only be solved by major countries intervening, because neighbors can get in fights. Historically, these borders have been argued over, And the only way it's going, it's going to be solved if you and I are able to attract the U.S., Russia, France, Iran, attract their attention and make sure they want peace in the, in the region. And so for as much as we, the L.A. Armenians, are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter trying to tell each other, and we did a great job and we had some of the most beautiful, peaceful marches in L.A., but there's a whole world out there that people like I can connect with phone calls, with private messages, emails, and for the last two weeks, we've been on the phone with friends in New York, friends in Europe. All of my posts have been tagged to European Parliament because... We need Otagon. Uh, we need other people to come in and intervene to solve this problem. And I think uh, together with the marches, uh, with the with uh, American media paying attention this week, and all these telephone calls to important people uh, in different countries has made a difference. And For as much as my friends in Glendale, they don't see me, but they need to believe after 40 years of serving the community and how much I love going to Armenia, how much I love to perform here for Armenians in L.A. and elsewhere, they have to believe me when I say day and night we've been on the phone trying to connect to influential people who will come in and, and intervene and make a difference. Of course. And we know you've done a lot for the Armenian community. You've, you've performed in Armenia where you've donated all the proceeds to, to, the, the, to the country. Um, and that, that, that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to uh, have you on the show was to discuss as far as uh, uh, what you're doing, what you've done, and what you can what your plans are as far as, like you said, raising awareness. Um, because we, we obviously respect the outreach that you have, as do all of our viewers. And uh, we want to make sure that, as you said, the international community, because Armenians know what's going on. We need the Europeans and even, even the Azeris and the Turks and the ones who've been brainwashed since birth to understand truly their history. Because... A lot of these kids don't even know what's, 
why their country is attacking Armenia. They, they've been taught whatever in school or by their parents. So they have a misconception about this whole war. They don't, un- they don't know about the genocide that took place in 1915. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a matter of educating them rather than trying to headbutt with them and, you know, fight. It's, it's, it's about educating them, helping them understand that this is about humanity, right, as you like to call it. Um, those kids fighting in Azerbaijan, they were born from mothers too. They have families. Some of them or a lot of them may have not chosen to, to go to the front lines and fight Artsakh, but they had no choice. Um, so, so I mean, that's, a, that's a, a great point you just made. Obviously, as artists, uh, we love to have peace. And I know for sure many Azerbaijani artists want the same thing, which is peace. Because culturally, musically, the whole region borrows from each other. They love each other's music and art and culture. It's just that when it comes to politics, things start to shift. So my job as as an Iranian, Armenian, American artist has been to connect to the celebrities, to artists, believe it or not, there are probably 30 million uh, Iranian Azeris living inside Iran, who are some of the biggest part of my fan base, and I love them just the same way they love me. For 40 years, they've listened to my music. We have seen each other in concerts in Armenia. They travel from Tabriz and Khoi. Uh, and uh, Tehran, they come to Armenia to, to see us in the concerts, and we have always been like brothers and sisters uh, throughout history, and this conflict has brought doubt, so part of my job has been to connect with them and tell them, as people, uh, we are still brothers and sisters, and we're good neighbors, we have always respected each other's uh, uh, lifestyle and culture. Let's not lose. Um, let's not lose what we had. And so, t- to me, that's a very important step to take because millions of Azeris inside Iran automatically they connect to their Azeri friends in in Azerbaijan. And it's my job. It's Iranian artists' job to make sure they understand. Uh, the conflict has to stop. Uh, the war has to stop. It's not benefiting anybody. Even one person getting hurt or misplaced in the region, it's not good. So let's all work towards peace. Of course. Uh, for those of you joining us now, we have international superstar Andy on the line with us uh, discussing the situation in Artsakh. Uh, if you guys can also share share the live feed on your pages um and ask questions if you have questions our first segment as we mentioned will be with andy and then we're going to get to uh dr martyr yeah dr martyr right after um but andy a couple other questions that the viewers are asking is uh what type of reaction have you been getting when you post about artach is there a lot of um are, are, are your is say, it is it backlash that you're yeah. getting because what what the concern is with a lot of our viewers is they're saying the reason why he's not posting is because he's getting backlash, his fans are leaving him, he's getting 
I'm sorry to say, but death threats, stuff like that. What is going on? What's the reaction you're getting from um, the people that are non-fan base or the non-Armenians? Me- or non-Armenians yeah. The message that you're get that you're getting. Well, all of the above. Everything you said is true. The f- one thing that's not true is that we are not posting. For, from the first moment the war broke out, we have been posting on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter every day in one way, in one form or another. I've been copying Araxia's uh, posts, uh, Eric Israelian's posts, anybody we can find. Eric film is on, uh, on the streets filming people, filming the marchers and peaceful protesters. We are posting that. I check uh, other Armenian artists, Armenchi, uh, Diko, everybody's posts, and we've been borrowing and posting. And yes, we got a lot of backlash from our uh, fan base, who is not Armenian, and they don't want us to take sides. Uh, it's very obvious. I'm Iranian, Armenian, American. I'm going to take these three sides. It's in my blood. I love these people. I love three, all three countries. Uh, and uh, I'm proud of it, every one of them. So yes, I do take sides when it comes to wars. But it doesn't mean I mean uh, malice or, or I have ill intentions towards any other country. I'm vegetarian. I'm almost vegan. I don't even kill ants. So I don't want anybody to die in any type of conflict, especially when it's got to do with, with us personally. So, yes, I got a lot of backlash from inside Iran, the Azeri uh, fan base, but I came up with other explanations that, look, all of our intention should be focused on peace on both sides and uh, I've always been there with for all of them, and I will always be there. Hmm. The, the The issue right now is, and I totally hear where you're coming from as far as peace, Andy. And obviously, peace was peace happened in 1994. There was a ceasefire where we said, you know what, Armenians want peace. Let's put our weapons down. Let's call it a ceasefire. And that was in 1994. We're in 2020 right now, and you know there was a ceasefire that took place agreed upon on both sides but the azeris attacked again at this point you know what a lot of people are saying is if they if the armenians put their weapons down and we mentioned this last week on the podcast when we were doing a fundraiser um if the armenians put their weapon down there will be no peace if the azeris put their weapons down i think that's when the peace will happen because aliyev right now is saying they're ready to basically wipe us and Erdogan as well to wipe us you know off the earth as far as the Armenian culture the Armenian race the Armenian people how do do you ask for peace for for, you know from people that sorry for my French but don't give a shit about us well I don't want to disappoint you on this but remember also I'm coming from Iran and 40 years ago there was a um, revolution. revolution and uh, for 40 years I've been in LA and the biggest oppositions of the Iran government are here in LA and they always ask me 
to come in, do interviews regarding the politics of things. And I don't want to play dumb. I'm not dumb. I understand the situation uh, in the world. But I'm a musician. I'm an artist. My, my job is to make music, make people happy uh, for all three countries, for the world, uh, I might say. And uh, who am I to make an opinion about uh, the politics of the region? All I can say is that I don't agree with uh, fighting. Um, I uh, wholeheartedly oppose the war and you you're saying it's starting from the Azerbaijani side. You must forgive me if I'm not educated and informed enough to make a, 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 an opinion that will solve the Israeli, the Palestinian uh, conflict that's been going on for thousands of years. And I'm not uh, ignorant about it. I just don't think in a few minutes of your time on air, I can describe the correct situation. It's very clear. I'm on the Armenian side. I made it clear with my posts, and I, that's all I can say. Very well said, Andy John. Very well said. Uh, look, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, when you're in the public eye, no matter what you do, you're going to have supporters, you're going to have people who misunderstand or misinterpret. Uh, as you said, as an artist, your music is international. Uh, music doesn't have a language. It could be, you know, us Armenians, we listen to everything from Armenian to French, Italian, Spanish, Greek, you name it, we listen to it. Even some of our music, I hate to say it, comes from uh, Turkish, uh, right, uh, <laughs> roots. I'm musically so challenged. Yeah, it's, it, we we borrow music from yeah. everybody. This is what I was. We were with the guys last night. We were sitting down having some drinks, and I told them, "I'm like, I I refuse to dance, and I refuse to listen to any Turkish or Azeri melody music from now yeah. on. All this whole uh, Mugam, Kalkalal, all you this stuff. You don't understand that I'm, takes I'm, away like eighty percent of our market. You, you know what? <laughs> Stepan said it best. It is what it is. Yeah. Yes. But actually, actually, I had a very nice conversation with Stepan yesterday in the hospital. Yeah, same I here. I called to wish him well. He's a very smart, he's a loyal Armenian, and, and I love him. He's... I wish him a speedy recovery. To my friends uh, in LA who might complain that I need to do more, I'd like to know what more is. I mean, Shaney and I, for the last two weeks, have lived in this horror of, of the war every minute of it. And we try our best as artists, as Armenians, as Iranians, as Americans, as human beings. Most of our work throughout the year is humanitarian. Uh, I just, I flew to uh, Armenia in June, a week after my shoulder surgery. I had horrible pain. Mm -hmm. I flew all this way. I went there. I sang with Harwood and uh, Armen Chief and, and, and we had 50,000 Armenians. It was a free concert. I went there to sing for my people for free. I mean, all you guys know that for 40 years, I've done my best to serve my community. 
and I'm here to do more. It's just that some people should realize that we are all in the same team, on the same team. We should encourage each other instead of criticizing. All of us are serving our community, our country in our own way uh, as much as we can. I, I don't expect anybody to do more because I know everybody's doing the best they can. Of course. Well, I think our audience would love to see maybe a uh, new song dedicated to to the cause, if, if you're up for it, or even some comments we're seeing about possible fundraising and all that, which we've some, obviously been involved with, and yeah. we could even uh, you know, collaborate with you. Just some ideas that, that some of our viewers are throwing out there. Yeah, some people are actually saying, post some videos of you actually speaking. Um, one of the comments here said that he's not actually on his own social media. He has somebody handling it for him. Um, maybe if you were to, you know, and you know, you could take our advice or listen to it however you want, but maybe post an actual video of you speaking about the situation um, instead of having somebody type it out to you, uh, type it out for you on social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. I think everybody wants to hear you, Andy. I think that's what it is. And Anujan, is this Arno or? Yeah, it's me. It's Arno. It's Arno, yeah. Anujan, well. I'd like to say I am so big and rich and famous that I have people typing for me. But <laughs> listen, that's not that's not me telling you this, Andy. This is this is this is the people. This is the people asking. Well, it is it is true in a sense that I have many people helping me. This uh, music business cannot be run by one person. So yes, I do have help on social media, but I also personally follow up. And like I said, some of our friends, specifically in Glendale, um, have to believe that I'm on top of it and we are doing our best. We always have, and we will not stop until peace comes back to Armenia and yes, I'm talking to some people, some of my friends, for a proper song to help. Two, my nieces are doing a fundraising next seventeenth. Uh, I'm definitely, definitely gonna help them, just like I've been helping other friends. Um, I've been very involved behind the scene with calling friends to donate to Armenia Fund this weekend. And it was successful partially because you and I, all of us, helped bring awareness. I had friends in New York and Washington, D.C., who, uh, just because I called them, they donated money. And so we're not going to stop until we're successful. Wonderful. Just, and, and like I said earlier, just like in 2009, you did a duet with Bon Jovi regarding the situation in Iran. I think maybe... Just a suggestion as far as a uh, an artist of his caliber, if you guys do some type of duet to influence the international and United States market to to truly get the word across as far as and the story across that w why is there so much conflict in such a small country like Armenia uh, would help the cause even much more than any amount of money that you were able to 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 raise. Uh, 
but and you're perfectly correct, Armand Jean. I I wish, like I said, it was that easy to <laughs> uh, to pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Jennifer Lopez, uh, you want to do a song?" <laughs> or Pitbull. I wish I or could. <laughs> if, um, if anybody is that friend with Jennifer Lopez, let's let's connect. I'm ready tomorrow. I'll be in the studio, and and uh, you're correct. Uh, John Bon Jovi's situation was maybe a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Yeah. Uh, there was a revolt happening in Iran. People were not happy with the election. And everybody knows how much I care about uh, Iran. And I wanted to be involved, and I was lucky. Uh, Don Walls and John Shanks, two of the biggest producers in the world, when we were all in the right place at the right time. We connected, the song was successful, and it can still be successful if if I am or any of our Armenian artists are connected to international artists. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all up. Somebody called me and tell me, hey, so-and-so is uh, ready, and I'll be in the studio tomorrow to record. I'm going to be on the hunt for Jennifer Lopez and Andy. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to text so, you. So here, here, here's what we're going to do: uh, Armand will go after Jennifer Lopez. I'll go after somebody else. Edgar will go after Pit- <laughs> Edgar will go after Pitbull. Andy, if yes, anyone yes, can yes. put this together, the wise nuts will put this together for you. So if you, yeah. if you're serious about it, we're the guys that are going to get this together. <laughs> well, Andy, I mean, we hope to see your face on social media more often. Um, whether it's through video or audio or anything, as far as you know, seeing that smile of yours, yeah. um, he- you. hearing hearing you actually speak, whether it's on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, just putting a message out there, showing people that you know what, this is what we're doing. Here's what's going on. Because, I mean, again, I, I want to read some of the comments to you, but obviously, I know you're on a time crunch as well, and we're on a time crunch as well. But a lot of people are basically saying. You know, we want to hear more. Where is he? Where has he been? They they want to hear your voice, Andy. They want to see uh, you. Armijan. Jana. Armijan. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, thousands of people through social media are thanking. And 100%. thanking because they know we are working on this day and night. A few more people, a few people are kind of not right. They're, they're not correct in criticizing Armenian artists because Armenian artists are just as loyal to the cause as the average Armenian is, and they're working hard. They love the country. They want to do something good for it. And I don't think this criticizing is is going to make it better. It probably turns off some of them. Like I know this week, some Iranian Armenians were asking Iranian uh, non-Armenian artists to get involved, and they were not polite. I mean, if you if you want somebody to help, you have to ask nicely. And they were not polite. It turned them off. I know Iranian artists love Armenia. They love Armenians. When you go to north of Iran, which is Tabriz and Ardabil and those areas, Armenians and Azaris live together in peace. 
for for hundreds of years. And Iranian artists love to go to Armenia. A lot of artists go there with a, a, the smallest amount of money just because they want to be there. They want to see people. They want to see the country. And if we ask them nicely, they might risk because don't forget, they also have ties to the Azeris inside Iran or Azeris in Azerbaijan. And they don't want to take sides. It's different when I take side because I'm on that side. Just the same way if Iran was in war with another country, I would take their side because I love that country. So uh, some of my friends in Glendale should be a little bit more appreciative, just like the rest of us, thousands of people who thanked you and me and all the artists who were involved in the last two weeks. Well said. Very well said, Andy Jan. Well, we like I like Arno said, we appreciate your time. Um, to continue to spread the love, the message of peace. That's I know that's what you're all about. Um, we hope to have you live on the yeah, show one day. Yeah, when this quarantine is over, you you, I got, I got you a, owe I, us a live show here. I, I got the seat right <laughs> next to me, Andy. Right next to me. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. You guys seem to be a lot of fun people. And smart. I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of everybody who marched this weekend, uh, especially the youth. And we we must continue this to bring peace to Armenia. I want to be able to go back there, play for people, sing for people. And uh, I can't wait for that day. Uh, I'm My heart is broken when I see people are hurt and misplaced. I wish we, I could do more for them. Trust me, my family, my brothers, my sisters, my wife, everybody is working hard to bring the international awareness to intervene because this war is not going to stop without the intervenience by other countries. Very well. Very well said. Andy, I want to thank you again uh, for taking time out of your Monday to join the Wise Nuts. Um, like we said... Hoping in the near future, maybe 2020. Maybe oh, he made a pro- promise to yeah, be yeah. here. Uh, not yes, hoping. You know what? Not a hope. He said it. You know what? The Super Saco yes. show, he said it now. He said it during Super Saco. <laughs> when Super Saco was on with us, he's saying it now. You know what? Fingers crossed. We might have a Christmas special with Andy. <laughs> All right. I love that. I love that. It's a promise. We appre- you know it's what? Pr- we, we appreciate now, it, Andy. Now that I said promise, it reminded me. Make sure you guys go to uh, Netflix and watch promise because it's a beautiful movie um eric israelian produced it and it's doing fantastic on online so mm-hmm. go rent it or download it and watch it yeah and he's another person we're actually yeah. working on as well for you know yeah, bringing him eric on the show is, we're trying to figure out a date for eric as well um again right. andy thank you so much for taking time out of your monday to join us again via audio My pleasure. um We'll be on iTunes, we'll be on Spotify and all that stuff so people can hear you out there as well. And again, from all three of us, you know, we hope to see that face, that smile on social media more, Andy John. And thank you for everything you're doing and thank you for everything that you have done in the past because a lot of people don't remember what happened in the past and all the things that you had done. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. 
and uh, hope to see you guys soon. Absolutely. Christmas you, special. Andy. Christmas special. Christmas yes, special. Christmas stay, special. Yes. Stay with Andy. All right, guys. Stay with. All right, uh, Andy. Thank you. We're going to get Andy off the line right now. Guys, stay with us really quickly. We have Dr. Hike Martirosian here with us as well. We're going to play some music, get Hike set up, and then uh, we'll go ahead and uh, start. Back after a short, very short setup. What, what's the break they call when they make sponsorship? What, what's that called? <laughs> Even though we don't <laughs> get the intermission, advertise after an intermission, advertise the intermission again, guys. You could sponsor us one. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not taking any money from anybody. Um, we, our, have, we have our endowment is what half a billion now. Basically, we don't, we don't need it. Give, give or take. <laughs> now we could just sell our stocks and leave. Do we? Do we a favor? I need you to turn Hike's microphone just up a little bit. No, no, you could leave that there. Hike's, Hike's microphone. There we go. There we go. Okay. Um, thanks, guys, everybody. Uh, again, thank you to Andy for you know tuning in with us as far as uh, audio. Uh, sorry for the technical difficulties. We wish you guys could have seen him as well. We saw him the first. We saw him. We couldn't hear him, and then we could hear him. We couldn't see him. Yeah. So, I mean. It was Andy, guys. But <laughs> I think you all recognized his voice. So. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we'll have him on in the future as far as live. But uh, our second guest today, uh, Dr. Har- Haik Martirosian, uh, polit- political science. Uh, I would say, what would it be? Political science activist? Or would it be... What, what, what would be the proper title for you, well, Dr. Haik? I'm, I'm a political scientist. Politics. There you go. Political scientist. Analyst and maybe politician as well. Yeah. That's... Future-wise, towards well, politics. current-wise as well, past-wise as well, yeah, and future-wise as well, I guess. And one of the things you know, prior to starting the podcast, you know, which we kind of touched base on very lightly before we can go live, and it's something that all of us would want to talk about is uh, you were actually part of um, the revolution, the Velvet Revolution yeah. that took place with uh, yeah. prime, current Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan, yes, uh, which is something we'll we'll touch base on, but. As far as just a background check on you, finding out a little bit more about you and uh, uh, you know where you graduated and all that stuff, can you give us some insight on that? And then we'll jump into the whole revolution because that's something where you know you being front line is, it, it, and we're in Los Angeles. We want to know what was going on and how everything was happening. Well, I guess everybody knows by now. Uh, was a huge movement of people. Everybody was fed up with Sarah Sarkisian going for the third term. So people were enraged. There was this need for the longest time to replace the government, to replace people from power. That's what happened in in very brief. 
would have put it. Yeah. Mm. But as far as with you, political scientist, yeah. or, you know, and, it, and, and, and it's a doctrine. Well, yeah, but you you should know that I'm not very much in the academic field at this point. I am very much in the active politics at this point, doing analysis and also trying to um, come up with ways and ideas that might be helpful for uh, Armenia. So revolution was a point where I saw and I thought that uh, I cannot just analyze. I got to be in it. That's how I ended up in the movement uh, on the front lines. So prior to the revolution, you were also you you had already graduated. You were already yeah, sure, a political analyst basically yeah. before joining the movement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now this war, again, same thing goes with this one. It's 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 tougher than during the revolution because during the revolution you could speak basically what you wanted. Uh, now there are some limitations on the speech imposed by the government so there are these conditions that you cannot speak your mind freely otherwise you're running a risk of uh, penalties financial penalties and who knows maybe criminal ones as well you're referring to speaking out in armenia or where uh or even yeah, here in as armenia. far as when during war you just no here i don't think that it applies to here even though the legal basis is uh, weak somehow uh, but uh, it's it's also about the public understanding on, or being ready to hear some analysis that might not be in favor of the uh, direction that's coming from uh, higher ups. So in that sense, even here, even 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 in diaspora, uh, people are not uh, really very much free to speak up their minds. Uh, and I'm not talking about. Uh, things that are critical of the government at this point because uh, many people think that one shouldn't criticize the government during the war but we also know that uh, in in the war in any war in every single democratic country there is huge debate going on because uh, my deep belief is that the society should control how the government runs the war for the society and for the people uh, you cannot just trust the government to do everything and without being questioned, without being scrutinized. And if you let that happen, then you run huge risks because there is no debate, there is no discussion. There is no, there is no plurality of uh, thought and ideas. So that's, that's also something that, uh, that I guess in the future needs to change. Does this new administration allow for uh, opposition parties to work together with the administration, or are they in full Re control of regarding the war? Every aspect of politics in Armenia the last two years. Well, we have now, like previously, no, the, the, the government, I mean, I don't want to discuss these internal things at this point, mm. but the reality, the fact is that the government and the power the people in power have acted almost solely uh, without participation of uh, opposition. Now, even more, opposition is pushed aside because of the war going on. And it's a very complex and difficult thing that I would like not to discuss at this point. Yes. We will have plenty of time to go into this in the future when the war is over. Safe to say the one thing is safe to talk about today would be international involvement. 
everything is safe to talk, basically. Uh, it's not about being scared or it's no, about it's about not public. Hurting. It's not about it's about public. Ourselves. It's about public sensitivities and uh, sensitive issues that might not be taken uh, easily by some citizens, people, people in diaspora. So we need to prepare the public to be able to have open discussions when the war is over. What comes to the international involvement, this thing, we, we, just, we Armenians just don't realize how big this thing is in terms of international affairs and international arena and sphere, because this has all the potential to grow into a, not only a regional, but international, uh, international proxy conflict, just like we've seen recently in the region. It's not only about Armenia. Of course, Azerbaijan and Turkey want to destroy Armenia without any doubt. And mind it, this is not about Artsakh. We mistakenly fool Armenia. We mistakenly think that the issue is that they want to take Artsakh. That's nonsense. That's just a that's just a bordering little province that they just want to wipe out right now in order to have. It's not bordering. It's part of Armenia, basically Armenian province that they want to wipe out first before they move into, uh, let's say, Yerevan itself. And this is not a maximalistic, extre- like, extreme view. Well, they're the ones on record uh, saying it. Of I mean, course. if we don't see it today, it's going to be too late. And Aliyev has said that many, many times. He has said, uh, like, Yerevan Khanutun, Erevan, uh, you know, Erevan Khanate, Erevanskaya Khanstva in Russian. He claims Yerevan was that, so he takes only one small Persian domination period refers to that as Azerbaijani and claims Yerevan is... And this is not a joke. By the way, we have to mind one other very important thing as well, that we... You see, we, the Armenians, portray Aliyev and Azerbaijanis as sheep in our cartoons and etc. This is not very smart and wise because we ridiculize them. We do all these cartoon... Um, uh, we create all these cartoon images. Mockery, basically. Uh, yeah, mockery in our, our own minds as well. At the same time, we dismiss the seriousness of these people's determination and the seriousness of the situation. And also, we should mind one other thing, that Aliyev, being the evil he is, being the genocider he is, is terribly honest in whatever he speaks. He speaks his mind. He doesn't play diplomacy. So we should appreciate this fact and take it very, very seriously. In Armenian public... Many have dismissed for years whatever he has said, saying, oh, that's for internal public, for internal use, that's for internal audience, that's nonsense, that's propaganda, that's to keep his power, and etc. Nonsense. No such thing. Whatever he has said, he has done. And he means it. And he really means it. And the most amazing thing is that he speaks his mind openly. He doesn't hide anything. He doesn't fake anything. He says what he's going to do, and he does it, actually. So we got to be more serious, taking our enemies' words and points of view very, very seriously from now on. And when I was uh, saying that, stating that this has all the potential to grow into a, a wider-scale international conflict, again, to return to the beginning, it's aimed at the whole Armenia to eliminate the whole Armenian, to uni- unite with Azerbaijan, basically, <laughs> and go further towards the Turkic world, up to China, but it's also aimed at Iran. Because, uh, and my friend Ara Papian, Ambassador Ara Papian, came up with this idea, and I completely agree with him, so i got to give him credit. 
it is also that Azerbaijan, obviously because of the fights these days, two days ago, yesterday, today, they fight on the banks of Arax River, <laughs> River Arax, which is a, bit, a border between Iran and Armenia. Armenia and Iran in terms of Artsakh and also you know, the Republic of Armenia part mm -hmm. and Iran. So they want to cut that uh, because they want to take control over the uh, border with the Iranian territories where ethnic Azerbaijanis live, Turkic people. Also, this is aimed at Turkey, uh, at China, on part of Turkey, because China is building its uh, Silk Way. Silk Road. Silk Road, which is the Silk Way, actually. And it is going to pass through this region. So getting control of this border, cutting Armenia from Iran completely, and it's not going to stop with Artsakh part of the border. They're going to be crossing. That's, that's what they plan. I'm sure that plan is going to fail. But their plan most probably is to cross it, and it's very logical, through Zangezur and unite with Nahijevan. And cut off uh, the mainland cut off. Azerbaijan, cut off Armenia completely oh. from Iran, because that will mean just economic and political death to Armenia. That's Armenia. the only thing, only border we have open today. I mean, all four sides we have enemies. Well, Georgia is not Georgia is not an enemy, but they're uh, not a friend either. But uh, there are some issues with because uh, uh, Georgia has announced that they are closing uh, the um, border for military equipment and etc. for both of the parties, which means that uh, neither Azerbaijan officially nor Armenia can get uh, weaponry and you know, military supplies through Georgia. And, uh, they even stopped some of our citizens from coming back in. Well, uh, I don't know about that. I, I but remember the point seeing is, that. But the point is that uh, China is also a target in this game because, uh, as we know, the real, the true historic homeland of Turks, Turks were never in this area 2,000 yeah, years no, ago. No, they weren't. What is the true, real, historic homeland of, of uh, Turks? Uh, it's the Xinjiang region yeah. of China, Mongol. from Chinese part. And from the other part, the former Soviet part, is part of Kazakhstan, which is Altai. And everybody who lived in Armenia or Soviet Union knows what Altai is. Yeah. That's where the Turks come from. And there is huge Turkish population in Xinjiang that's creating problems for China. We all know that China is dealing with the issue in different ways. Internal Muslim China. Yeah. And uh, so now Turkey's aim is to reach back to their historic homeland. Of course, China is going to be against this. And it is against this, naturally and understandably. And they are trying to uh, make and bridge the way towards Xinjiang, all the way towards Xinjiang. So and that, the first step goes through Armenia, goes through Artsakh. And so is this why the Pakistanis are trying to get involved in this as well, basically kind of unite a pan-Turkey yeah. from, from one ocean to the other, basically? Uh, Pakistanis don't follow exactly the Turkish agenda. Pakistanis follow more a religious agenda, but this is not a religious war. But based on religion, they are trying to cuddle with Turkey and with Azerbaijan, because they have always cuddled with them, and because they see Turkey and Azerbaijan as military allies. So they are, because of the conflict with India, they need allies on the continent. They see Turkey as the closest ally. For example, Saudi Arabia is another ally for Pakistan, but on the other end, Saudi Arabia is actually an enemy of Turkey. 
So it's very intertwined and complicated and complex. It's, it's, it's a, so it's those a, neighbors in the Arabian Peninsula, do you seriously think those issues that we are seeing in the Arabian Peninsula with Turkey, do you think those are real or a smoke cloud in a way? No, they are very real because they are based in history. Whatever is based in history is real. Whatever is not based in history may not be real. So But the this is support real. from India may not be real because it's not in India? history really, right? India? Yeah. For whom? For Armenia? For Armenia, yeah. Well, no, it may be very real. Uh, th there have been connections uh, and even inter-ethnic Relations have been on a very high and good level between Armenians and Indians. You know, we have had huge communities of Armenians in India. And we big have communities of Indians in Armenia, yeah. as far as the medical program yeah. goes. And the people have very uh, close mentality and all that stuff. Uh, but the issue is that uh, we should understand that this uh, problem is going to get bigger and bigger. So that's why we fight fiercely Because everything is being decided on the battlefield. No matter what any power, any world power, any regional power does or speaks or says or puts pressure on. Everything everywhere in history has been decided on the battlefield first. And the best example of that is Syria. In the Syrian civil war, everybody was against the Syrian government. Yeah, the whole that. world. Yeah. And everybody was supplying arms to the opposition. But Assad and his forces decided to fight to the last drop of blood. So they did that. And because they won the battlefield, they recovered the country for themselves and then helped pour it in from and different parties. And more respect from other parties. I mean, all these presidents yes. and leaders that were trying to say Assad must go, all of them are gone and Assad is still there. Exactly. And now even some countries that supplied military aid to the rebels uh, and the opposition so-called, they are uh, trying to re-establish diplomatic relations with the uh, Syrian government. So everything depends on how you fight and what you do on the battlefield. That's the starting point. We should always understand this because there are many people in Armenia who at this point say, What if this power doesn't allow us to do this? What if that power wants us to do this? All these powers are looking for us to do something for ourselves before they can do anything for Yeah, us. and we should understand one thing, that we shouldn't be caring who does what, who puts what kind of pressure, who helps or who doesn't help. We should pursue our own agenda for one simple reason. This is not a regular fight. This is not a war that will end with something that will be worked out later on. No matter what kind of stupidities people speak about, negotiations, possible negotiations, the impossibility of solving the problem militarily. No, the problem is being actually solved militarily. And it's not our choice. It's the Azerbaijani's choice. So we should clearly understand that this is an existential fight. If we lose even part of Artsakh, we may consider that we lost the whole Armenia because it's going to be a matter of time. So there is no option, basically, but to win this war. It's win or go home, basically. Or move forward. What It's about that option? Hike, what do you think of the option of, do you think Armenia has enough to move forward in this war? That's an excellent question, because many people ask that question. Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. I don't have the answer to that. The military knows, I guess. Uh, move forward as in into... Azerbaijan? Or? You mean technically no, no, no. and geographically? Uh, as far or? as geographically, yeah. there is a lot. Of, look, uh, what... 
Our own history doesn't teach us enough about that area and how much of that is actually Armenia. No, it teaches. It teaches. Karabakh, um, Artsakh, sorry to cut you off, Haitra. Artsakh is part of Armenia. So for us to be talking about independence of Artsakh, beautiful thing to say. It sounds beautiful to have two countries, but that's part of Armenia. That's a very dangerous idea as well, and I'm going to yes. come to that. But before that, I want to answer to your first question about do we have the capacity do we have the potential? Yeah, we have the potential. Do we have the technical capacity, the, everything that's needed to do weaponry. that? I don't know the weaponry. Enough, we have the weaponry. But is it enough? I don't know the answer to that. The issue is we shouldn't be caring even about that. Because if it's fight or die, win or die situation, you take everything that's under your hand. Number one. Number two, you should gear up for that. Because you have no other choice. What is your choice? Every single other choice that's, that people are coming up with is a bogus idea. Or oh, this will come, will save us. Well, that saving may cost us hell a lot, even worse than the loss. So, so the relevance here between what's going on right now in Artsakh and you mentioned Syria. Now, as we've been seeing, apparently Israel has been sending weaponry right to these areas. Uh, apparently, last year the U.S. funded, funded about hundred million dollars to uh, to the Israeli military. I heard military. there was hiking up of funds from the U.S. right before this war as well. Yeah. So, all of this is very similar to what you explained with Syria, but who? There has to be somebody that ini- initiated this. Was it Erdogan or Aliyev, or is there a bigger power behind this movement? Because they may be trying to, for example, revolutionize Iran or, like you said, trying to get to China. Or uh, it, it, it can't be as black and white as what we see. Well, they're trying to take Artsakh back. Like you said, Artsakh, I don't think, means that much to them. There has to be a bigger... No, Armenia means everything yeah. to them. But this is also an excellent question. So I've got two excellent questions to answer now. But I'll start with yours. Um well, the issue is that uh, Azerbaijan has been preparing for this war for at least 26 years. Since 94. Yeah. Wow. It's that for we, this one? Yes. So what was the one in 2016? That what was, was the one in that June? That was a prelude. In June, well, I would like very much to tell you what it was in June, but I'm not going to go again <laughs> into that. But I promise Maybe you... Maybe after podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after podcast, surely. Right. But, well, it was, it was a very minor thing compared to what's happening now, I can tell you that, the June. But April War 2016 was something more serious, but it was a prelude. It was a test war. And if that had worked, had that worked, they would have had Artsakh then. So it didn't work. I'm gonna uh, real quick. I'm gonna guess 2016. Would you say had anything internal to do with it? Uh, I guess also yes. Thank you. Well, there is there is very strong suspicion. Let me put it polit- in a politically correct way at this point that there was some treason that took place inside the Armenian government of the day, which is the former regime. And uh, I mean, I personally have no doubts about it. Uh, my conviction is based on my analysis and the uh, information that uh, is available publicly, which uh, is very trustworthy. But uh, that's another issue. So now, uh, Azerbaijan was preparing for this war for 30 years. It's that we, as a people, have acted stupidly, not believing into that. And this should be said openly. 
we have acted recklessly as people, as a society, as a country, for this past 26 whole years. Because we have always thought, oh, this is not going to happen because Russia will not allow it to happen. We have thought, oh, we have strong army. They're not going to be risk it. They're not going to be doing it. And I am actually one of the very few people, like two, three, four people, was constantly saying that a big war is coming. They are preparing. It is impossible to radicalize the whole of your society, the whole of your youth, to uh, uh, raise them in the atmosphere of hate towards Armenians, genocidal hate. It is impossible to spend tens of billions of dollars, if not hundreds of billions of dollars, on military equipment and arms and weaponry, sophisticated weaponry, not to put that into economy, but to put it into arms and then let it go for nothing. You should use that if you buy that. We never believed those things. We were overconfident. We were overly optimistic, just we always are. And I was getting criticized extremely heavily by saying, oh, you're sowing panic. You are terrifying people. You are an alarmist. All this nonsense. And then April happened. And then I started saying, this is a prelude. Something worse is coming. And again, I saw the same attitude in the public. So now we are in this existential threat. And again, in the society, there are views. They don't match the reality. Many people, I went through Facebook for the past hour when you were with your other guest. Uh, and I see so many different views and things that are so absurd and ridiculous. People just lack real, true understanding of what's happening, why is it happening, and what's going to be happening in the future. Now I'm coming to your question just to answer, because um, I'm grateful to you for raising the issue and putting it in, in that way, because that's the only right way. And I don't see many diasporans or many Armenians in diaspora realizing that the recognition, to put it very mildly, is not the best thing for Armenian Armenians. And I'll tell you why. First of all, we have the Artsakh, so-called Artsakh Republic, and I'll tell you why I call it so-called, because to me Artsakh is just integral part, an inseparable part of the Republic of Armenia. Why do we, uh, I mean, what do we call as a uh, Republic of Artsakh? That's the Lerim, which is Lerna in Garabari in Knavar Mars, created by Stalin himself, a fake... Uh, Republic. A fake uh, autonomous sub-republic, we, we should put it this way, sub-republic, inside Azerbaijan, given from Soviet Armenia. And it's not just given to Azerbaijan, it's given from Soviet Armenia, taken from Soviet Armenia, given to Soviet Azerbaijan. And the borders of Lerim were drawn by Stalin. There's a suspicion himself, personally, on the map. And now we recognize that territory as Artsakh. Well, Artsakh is not that. Artsakh no. includes also the seven-plus territories that we call liberated territories, they are really integral part of Artsakh. And now the fight, the war, and the battlefields run through these territories. Jabrail, which is Jirakan, Fizuli, all those territories are the liberated territories themselves. So our boys are dying for these territories right now. So is it the, is it the connected territories to Ghalabagh itself? Basically, yeah, you but, have the Armenian land. Yeah, but they are outside of the Soviet-created Lerim Republic. No, no, that's not what I'm asking. What yeah. I'm asking is the, the territories that you're mentioning right now, yeah. just to understand what, where you're talking about is you have, you have the, Armenian, the Armenian face, which is basically like the, like, like the yeah. lady's face that they say, and then you have that's Nor the Soviet army. Yes. yes. And then you have Nagorno Karabakh, which is basically the little piece. Lahim. Yeah. Now the territories that you're mentioning right now, as far as part of that Artsakh, is it the connecting pieces 
basically the white it is, yeah, the is white it, piece of that flag. That's that a is, good question for diasporans. Yeah, it is the two regions are the connecting pieces between the Soviet Armenia's territory that we see the girl shape. Yes, and the uh, Lerim, two are in, in in that part, and the rest are surrounding the Artsakh Including from the Nachi north Jevan? and from the east. No, Nakhichevan is on the other side. Is on the other side of Armenia. West it's, side. Yeah, Nakhichevan is divided from Azerbaijan by Armenia. Nakhichevan is also Armenia. We know that. Now I want to come to the issue. Why do we say uh, recognition or independence is very bad, harmful, and dangerous? And why is just the simple reunification the best thing to do and the only choice actually that we have? But we don't pursue that as far as I'm concerned, as far as I see. Because first of all, if we recognize that... Uh, the, the whole concept of self-determination of uh, Artsakhtis, our Artsakhi people, the Armenians of Artsakh, uh, from Azerbaijan uh, as a basis for our struggle in diplomatic and political arena, international arena. We're simply doing that, are recognizing that the administrative and political history of Artsakh starts from Stalin's decision under the Bolshevik occupation. Is that 1920? 21. 21. 21. Now, now, Artsakh, with the whole territories, and even territories that are still under control of Azerbaijan, more territories up to the very east of historic Armenia and the true Armenia, up to the river uh, Arax, was part of the first Republic of Armenia. It historically and politically and internationally recognized was part of Republic of Armenia. And those are the lands I was saying we could push forward on. Exactly. If and if we push forward and if we reach the river, the Arax, Kur Arax, that we, some people call Kur Arax Republic mm -hmm. of the future, that's going to give us huge security because the landscape is such that future attacks by land are going to be almost impossible on their part. And the Arax River, the Arax River has been the natural frontier of historic Armenia and the uh, First Republic of Armenia. I think now, there was Armenians on the other side of that river too, if you ask. Me. Uh, partly, we may say so, but it was Ahvank, the Cauc Caucasian or Caucasus mm. Albania, which was a Christian culture very much under the Armenian influence. They vanished, of course. And then when the Seljuk Turks came, the predecessors of Azerbaijanis, the current uh, fake you know, name that they created, they just pushed and destroyed everybody else. So now, but there are also native people there who are of Persian descent, of Iranian descent, the, the Talish people, the, the Talish people, the Lesgins, and etc. They are beyond that natural border. Now, why? Well, hold on, before you go on with this, I'm looking at the map of Armenia and Azerbaijan, Iran and Turkey right now. You have the you have the map of Armenia, and I yeah. wish I could show you guys on the screen, but we'll, we'll work on that as well. Sharing the damn screen, you have you Let's have the map of Ar yeah zoom first. zoom first yeah you have the map of Armenia. You have Nakhichevan on the left, yes. and then you have Artsakh on the right, or Nagorno Karabakh on the right, and then Azerbaijan. What you were saying with the Arax River is basically connecting all yeah. of somewhere here. So it's here on so, the right side. Bro. So what, then, what river is this that's connecting here so to Nakhichevan? This is the same thing. You can go. Uh, through the river. Uh -huh. This is Arax here, okay. down here. So this is the border. So basically going up here. Yeah, we should just follow the path of Arax here and to Kur up there. I see. It's hard to see for me from here. So what's uh, why is the idea so dangerous? Because if we go and recognize Artsakh 
This is the most important part of your question. I want to ask a counter question. What does it give us, guys? Absolutely nothing. We recognized Artsakh. Let's imagine. We just recognized it. Artsakh is an independent country recognized by the Republic of Armenia. What does it give us? Nothing. nothing. Really. Zero. What we did, we lost control, direct control over Artsakh because now we can't intervene in our own territories. Affairs. Now we created two Armenian states. By the way, no country has ever gotten stronger by dividing itself. Everybody in the history, Germany, Italy, everybody stronger. has uh, become stronger by coming together, by unifying, uniting, yeah. right? Uniting. Now, why Soviet Union collapsed? Because everybody in the world wanted the country to be divided, not to be united uh, as an empire. Uh, I mean, I'm not for Soviet Union and never have been. Just giving you an example yeah. how dividing benefits the uh, adversary. Now, uh, we believe that if we recognize, and now people are talking about remedial recognition, which is an international term, uh, and that because uh, Karabakh people, Artsakh Armenians are under existential threat, so some people believe that if we use that term and ask for international recognition, people will come and say, okay, you're under existential threat, then we, we, should, we, should, we should recognize your independence. Now, that's not going to happen. Very simply, that's absolutely not going to happen. We, we may recognize, nobody else will recognize. Didn't Turkey do something like that? Exactly. That didn't work that's too the, well, did it? That, exactly. That's an excellent question. Because they, Turkey captured half of Cyprus, which yeah. was a recognized country, internationally recognized country. And in the, basically in Europe, uh, it was basically essentially Part of a Europe. Greek country, the second Greece. They invaded, they took the half, they proclaimed the republic there, and they said, oh, we recognize this country. Now, Turkey has a lot of uh, friends. But none in, of them are recognized. And, uh, Pakistan is Turkey's friend. And even Pakistan didn't recognize uh, northern Cyprus, the Turkish Republic of Cyprus. Why? Because it will create a lot of problems with European Union, with Greece, and etc. So if we imagine that one single country, well, maybe an island country somewhere in the Caribbean... Uh, in return of some favors, will recognize as things have happened with different self-proclaimed countries. But that will give us nothing. But that, even that will not happen. Because nobody will want to damage their relationship. For, for It's not in their interest. It's, it's in nobody's interest with Turkey and with Azerbaijan and become enemies for these countries. Right? They may be sympathizing with Armenia, but nobody will do that for Armenia. Until Armenia does it for themselves first. Uh, well, Armenia does. Uh, let's say Armenia does it for itself, uh, no, even though it's as a, part of Armenia. That's yeah, I'm against two yeah, nations. And I'm, yeah, and I'm coming to that. Now, nobody has recognized it. Now, we made Karabakh Artsakh by recognizing it, if we recognize it, vulnerable to form uh, foreign internal intervention, political interventions, because at that point the a possibility of intervention from outside. Uh, we don't know who's going to be in power in Artsakh, let's say, in a couple of years, in a couple of months. Nobody knows. Influence-wise. If, no, even in power. Controlling Stepanakir, controlling Artsakh, it's going to be an Armenian administration, of course. But what kind of people are going to be there? We don't know. We don't know what kind of sympathies they will have. We don't know... Who may influence if they're an independent republic? We don't know who may influence and what. Any minute they can say... Maybe peacekeepers will come. So-called peacekeepers will come and be placed there. And that means that you, we will lose total control of Artsakh forever. And we will not be in charge of destiny of Artsakh. The controlling power, which is going to be under the guise of 
peacekeeping forces, controlling the whole destiny politically of Artsakh and doing whatever they want to do. Now, uh, this is, uh, and there is a second part, the second gravest danger. If we recognize Artsakh, we cannot recognize it outside the Lagin territory, the smaller Stalin drone uh, map. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fake map. Yeah, uh, shape of Artsakh. Why? Because in that case, the seven regions that our boys are dying for right now are going to be considered, and they are still considered by the international community, because we have done no work to tell them that this is Armenia, is going to be considered is going to be uh, considered Azerbaijani territory, and we cannot recognize those territories as parts of Indi- part of independent Artsakh. Plus, if even one country in Caribbean or in Africa will recognize Artsakh's independence, we'll never recognize those territories. Now, what do we do with these territories? These territories have been uh, a pawn in negotiations with Azerbaijan for 26 years now. Because the treasonous approach of Levanter Petrosian's regime and the subsequent two regimes of Kocharyan and uh, Sarkisian has been, you know what, recognize Artsakh and we will give you these territories, the seven regions. That has been the, princip- the Madrid principles. They have been updated in Kazan, uh, which is a city in Russia. And then they have been reshaped in- into another document, which is essentially the same, but an updated version, time-wise updated, called no. the Lavrov Plan. Okay? So this has been the topic. Now we see that some people say, let's stop the war and start negotiate again. About what? About giving the territories that just 500 people gave their lives for? Uh, I mean, makes no sense, right? We have lack of clear judgment. The, the previous governments have never acted in the interests of Armenia. This, they have followed the treasonous approach of Levanter Petrosian. The whole independence thing is also a fake thing that happened. Because, mind it, Artsakh came out of Soviet Azerbaijan, according to Soviet constitution, joined Soviet Armenia, and then by the personal decision of Levanter Petrosian, was forced to declare independence because my belief is, and my analysis is, and let me put it this way, not only my analysis or my belief is, that he just wanted to get rid of the issue altogether, Der Petrosian. I think because there's if much that's more than that. I, I have a feeling it's much be. more than what you said. Could be. But All we right. don't have uh, like <laughs> material proof, so that's why we cannot we cannot uh, speculate about so, it. So any what further. you're telling me is, in basically, when when Armenia declared independence from Soviet Russia, and Soviet Armenia, Soviet Union, not Soviet the, Russia. From, yeah. con, I'm sorry, from the Soviet Union declared independence. All Levon Terbedrosian had to do was say, Artsakh is part of Armenia. Well, it unified. It unified officially. I understand. I understand. We, we had members of parliament from Artsakh sitting in the Armenian parliament because it was part of Armenia. So, w- so w- what it was is basically Levanter Petrosian at that time, he basically washed the blood off his hands. He said, you know what, I don't want to deal with it. You deal with it on your own and you become your exactly. own. Exactly. And he was referring the international community and the mediators to Artsakh saying, well, I don't have anything to do with this. Go talk to them because he knew they are tough. But also don't forget that in 1997 or eight, he came up with this very famous article that served as a basis for his removal of, fr- from power. Uh, war or Give peace? Some territories for peace? No, he just openly said in that uh, article that you know what to have peace with Azerbaijanis, we should give Artsakh to them, find a formula for them. Uh, I mean, to work with them, let's give that, and you know, let's become a member, a full member of international community, etc. And don't forget, ten years ago, what Serzhakisian did. He went on and he signed uh, this uh, 
Zurich uh, documents with Turkey, High Turkakan Arzanagritunel, the Zurich protocols, Armenian Turkish protocols. There was another treasonous document. So, I mean, the mindset has always been so screwed up. We have never had a national approach. Now, why am I saying that Artsakh and the surrounding territories up to Arax River were part of Republic of Armenia? Because we have two major internationally recognized documents. Number one is the League of Nations document which recognizes those territories of the Republic of Armenia and minded that the first Republic of Armenia was an internationally recognized entity. Yes. It had an embassy in Washington, D.C. It was a full-time recognized state. So those territories were part of Republic of Armenia. Number two, uh, President Woodrow Wilson's arbitral award that was mandated, that was delegated by the international community after the World War I to Wilson to draw map of a new Armenia and basically the Ottoman uh, Turkey to divide it to the native people who, yes. who have been subjects to genocide and annihilation by uh, the Turkey. And according to that document, which after the moment of the signing entered into full force, those territories are also part of the Republic of Armenia. Now we have... And this was signed by... President Woodrow Wilson. Wilson. Democratic uh, President Woodrow Wilson. Continue. And this is and this is Wilson <laughs> Wilson, Wilson was the president, the American president, who took part in the World War I victory for America and for the world. Yeah. Now, uh, we should understand that we have faced a huge problem during this past three administrations. It is that according to Ter Petrosian's, and he's the godfather of all these ideas, according to Ter Petrosian's ideology, history history is nothing to refer to. It's valueless. It has no value. The world is laughing at people who refer to history in political terms. Right? So that's why he came up with this idea that, well, the start of the Artsakh's uh, political status should be considered the Azerbaijani Soviet Republic's you know, period. That was an occupation. One more issue, and I'll return to this, is that Azerbaijan, by the way, by declaring independence from Soviet Union in 1991, declared itself continuation of the first Azerbaijani Republic, 1918-1921. And that republic never included Artsakh and its territories in its, uh, you know, uh, in its uh, territory. Uh, now, why we never, on the government level, on the state level, never claimed those things? Why we never... Uh, promoted these ideas. Why we always went from the starting point of Soviet Azerbaijan. Why? Why? Again, because of Levon Terpetrosyan. And his, uh, I mean, what he did, the damage that he did to Armenia, I guess is irreparable. Treason. We have a war today because of the peace treaty, not peace treaty, sorry, because of truce, uh, ceasefire, that he signed in 1994. We were going to get to, I don't know where. Yeah. We were victorious. The plains were open to Arax and even further beyond that point. The Talish people have declared their own independent republic inside Azerbaijan, which, which meant destruction of Azerbaijan from inside. And suddenly Yeltsin calls and puts pressure on Levanter Petrosian. I have a feeling it was besides Yeltsin. Because something bigger no, Aliyev had asked him to put pressure, promising to get more under the Russian influence. So Yeltsin called, 
and their patrician did abide by the demand and signed a ceasefire when our troops were, were victorious. That, to me, personally, is equal to state treason. Wow. Pretty much uh, raised the white flag when we were yeah, winning. That's yeah. why we, we essentially gave them opportunity to regroup, to recover, to kickstart their oil industry, to buy billions and billions of dollars worth of e equipment, military equipment and, and come arms. come back 26 years later. And come back 26 la years later. To, so now to return to the very first question, they were preparing for this. We were not preparing in terms of ideas, in terms of being ready. Yes, the army was preparing, but ideologically, we never accepted the fact that another huge attack is coming. Why it happened now? Happened because of the pandemic. Happened because of some timing was perfect for them. It was, it was perfect. Time. Also, we had a political change inside the country that never brings like huge stability to any country. Let me put it mildly. We had uh, some divisions in the society, very strong divisions, post-revolution, and uh, a lot of other aspects as well that I would like not to touch now, but many people understand. So they thought, wait, why should we keep on killing a soldier a day that they were doing during 30 years to demoralize us? Why would we be doing that? Let's kill as many as we can, full force. Turkey is on the path of expansion, they're backing us up. Yeah, and they are trying to, Turks are trying to uh, reinstitute the Ottoman Empire, basically. Pan-Turkism plan, basically. Yeah, plan. but it's also, the Turks are also doing something that they never did before in history. So Turks have had three national ideologies. The first one was pan-Islamism, which uh, the pallbearer for that was Sultan Abdul Hamid. We know the Hamidian massacres. Mm -hmm. Then whoever, which pan-Islamism was an ideology that said whoever is not Muslim should be destroyed. But then they saw it doesn't work, so they went for pan-Osmanism, which was a more tolerant ideology in a way saying that everybody who's, an, uh, uh, who's a Turkish citizen, uh, an Ottoman citizen, should be uh, an Ottoman, a citizen of this country, and everybody should get this identity, an Ottoman identity. It didn't work, uh, and it failed monumentally. So after that, we know the young Turks, the Itihad Veterake party came to power, the genociders, they came up with this ideology, who is not a Turk, because the previous two ideologies didn't work, should be eliminated and destroyed. So they committed the genocide. They committed the genocide. Now, and then came Kemal, who uh, uh, reformed the country politically, who saved Turkey from annihilation after World War I, by fighting again on the battlefield and fighting the, every single treaty that the international community had adopted regarding Turkey. So he established a new country. Now, with a new leadership, well, not new, with this current leadership of Turkey, they have a fourth ideology. And many Armenians wrongfully think this, this is a neo-Osmanism, neo-Ottomanism, mm -hmm. or this is a pan-Turkism. No, it's neither. It's the both at the same time, which makes it more lethal. Because it's pan-Islamism mixed with pan-Turkism. So it's pan, it's, it's Turkish Islamism that's very, very, very dangerous. And they're expanding. They are controlling parts of uh, the northern part of Syria. They essentially annexed northern part of Syria. 
They have Turkish police forces there. They have Turkish administration there. Turkish flags flying. Turkish army there. You think Syria is just going to let that go? Well, Syria just cannot do anything with that at this point because uh, it's going to be an uh, all-out open war with Turkey. And you're talking about the same people that occupy a very large part of Germany as well. Well, uh, that's population-wise. That's immigration. That's The reference is not very direct. But, uh, I mean, again, these, these guys are planting seeds everywhere. Uh, of course, that's a policy because uh, their leadership has openly said that we will take Europe by immigration. They have said that openly. And that's, that's, that's where I'm they going. They threaten with Russia with their immigration today. Yeah, well... And they get away with it. They them. see Crimea as a basis for them because Crimea Tartars are ethnic Turks. They did the same with uh, Kosovo. They established uh, Kosovo. They helped in establishing Kosovo, which is Kosovo-Albanians are ethnic Turks as well. So they control, and this is a not a widely known fact, especially amongst us, Turkey controls part of Iraq. They have invaded actually Iraq, and Iraq is also an independent country. And they have military bases there, and the Iraqi government that is, that is a, an ally of the United States is asking, so-called asking, or demanding Turkey to withdraw the forces from there. And Turkey denies, uh, declines, says no. I mean, they are uh, conducting an expansionist, aggressive policy. Throughout the world. Throughout the world, and especially in the region. You know, How about Africa? They're in Africa. They've course. got their hands in Africa. But they're too. in Libya. They're fighting Saudi Arabia and Emirates. That's why I came up with this idea saying that why don't we go to Emirates that are very friendly to Armenia and Armenians. Why don't we go to Saudis? They never recognized Armenia, but Saudis are eager to fight Turkish forces anywhere they For can. For their own sake at the end of the day. Because it's in their interest. Why don't we go and talk to them? I mean, Saudis are famous for checkbook diplomacy. They write checks for a couple of billion dollars for different causes very easily. A billion dollar is a lifesaver for Armenia. But what is it, what does it cost us in the long run? Uh, well, there, there are risks with that, associated mm-hmm. with that. The first risk is Iran. Iran is a friendly country for Armenia, and Saudis are basically at war with Iran. It's, it's not military action, but it's like proxy war everywhere. So they are mortal enemies. But there is a way to deal with that. Iran has been always very wise in understanding Armenia's friendship with the U.S., with the United States. The U.S. has been very wise understanding Armenia's friendship with Iran. That it's Do you a- think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think majority of what's going on today. That's just listen. Before we go any further, I am not any pol- political guy. I'm not a politician. I just have opinions. <laughs> You're just a wise nut. I'm just a wise nut. Let's, as the show as says, as a wise nut, can you reintroduce the guest for those of uh, uh, the viewers who are just joining in? We have political scientist Dr. Hike Martirosian with us. Well, Dr. Hike actually uh, has a PhD in political science from. Uh, the name of the school, Sorbonne? Sorbonne. Sorbonne yeah. in Paris, which is equivalent to apparently the Harvard and the Oxfords of the world, right? That's where yeah. you got your doctorate They from. say it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we're talking politics, specifically Armenian politics, for those of you that are just joining us. Um, if you have questions, please go ahead and type in. We'll try to get to as many questions yeah. as we and can. Obviously, just share Before the we go to questions, yeah. just one, yeah. one, one point. So just to, to finish the, que- uh, the answer... Uh, the Iranian uh, part is easy to deal with because all Armenia shall do in terms of uh, asking help from Emiratis and uh, Saudis mm-hmm. should be just explaining and giving some guarantees to Iran that this cooperation will never, in any case, be directed at Iran. That's it. It's going to be for the defense of Armenia. And I'm pretty sure Iranians will understand that and they will not 
be like very unhappy with this thing because this is an ex existential fight for me. And one very last thing, just returning to the issue of recognition, uh, people mistakenly in Armenian in diaspora believe that, and it's huge numbers of people, that recognition will give some uh, security guarantees to Artsakh. Well, guess what? You're talking about the recognition of Artsakh, Artsakh or, or Artsakh, Artsakh, genocide? Artsakh, Artsakh. Artsakh. No, genocide is not an, yeah. an issue uh, at this point here uh, around this table. We're past that today. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I have a surprise for those people. There is not a single country that has been subject to aggression by an aggressor, subject to war, that hasn't been recognized. So recognition gives zero guarantees of security. And if we believe that the aggressed is going to get protection from international community, that's never happening unless you have strong allies who rush to your aid and help. Or you're ready to fight, one yeah. or the other. Yeah, or you can. You have the capacity to fight. I mean, recognition means zero. So essentially, by going for the recognition, instead of just announcing the reunification of Artsakh and the liberated territories with Armenia on the basis of the First Republic and the international documents. We throw all of that into garbage, into trash bin, and we go from the point of Soviet Bolshevik occupation of Artsakh, and we start from there on, putting ourselves under potential future pressure by the negotiating parties, negotiations. I mean, we should cut off, we should destroy the whole negotiation process. Immediately now, because it's destroyed already. Azerbaijan did that. We didn't do that. Minsk Group was a good format. Whatever was being discussed was not good. The Madrid principles, the Kazan, the Lavrov plan was extremely bad for Armenia. But the Minsk Group format, US, France, Russia, chairmanship, was good. But now that format should be considered dead. And if you because lose the there is Minsk, war. What if you lose that format and then Turkey gets into the mix? If no, you Turkey, lose can, that Turkey format, is in the mix, not in no. diplomatic way. Turkey wants to be a negotiator. But if you have no negotiations, if you say, you know what, guys, what Israel does? You know what, guys? We don't negotiate with you guys. You came to commit a genocide. You came to take all of our land, our country, to destroy us. And you killed already so many people. There's nothing we're going to negotiate with you. We know you want to destroy us. So here it is. This is part of our country. And we should appeal to our allies and ask them, what are you waiting for? Or what are the preconditions? Are you putting some preconditions against us? Or are you going to be rushing to our help directly without any preconditions? Because some people believe that there might be preconditions of putting uh, peacekeeping forces in Artsakh in return for rushing to our aid. No, allies come to your aid when you fight for your life immediately without hesitation, without preconditions, without anything. But, I mean, that's the problem right now is basically Azerbaijan is saying that, no, Artsakh is Azerbaijan. Armenia is saying, no, Azer you know, Artsakh is Armenia. And the world is basically sitting down with their hands in their laps saying, you figure it out. Of course. So, I mean, what is the solution to that? If Again, I told you. I, I understand that, but that, that nothing... To win on the battlefield. And also involve, involve new allies. See, well, that's what I... We were discussing this with the important allies are not being used. No, today, I know is what he's saying. We were discussing Potential this with allies. Yeah, yeah, we were discussing this with a couple of our friends that they were saying. Some of them were saying, "We the ceasefire should happen. We need peace. We need peace." I was telling them, "I think we should just continue pushing forward." Of course, it's easy to say, though, man. I mean, I know. I, I, I always you say have, that myself. Yeah, that's the only choice to, we listen, have. We have four. We're four Armenian men sitting here. 
And I always have a hard time saying that to myself because if I'm not on that line, I can't say that. I haven't served for Armenia's military. I don't reserve the right to say no, that. No, no, no. That's it's also just... a wrong. No, that's a very wrong uh, approach. Forgive me for saying that because I'm sure you have helped the cause. Yes. Uh, doing your part. It's not that everybody should be on the front line he- he- um, uh, holding a Kalashnikov or shooting a cannon. No, that's that's not a wise approach. Everybody should do their proper work because it's a collective effort. War is a collect. You cannot conduct a war without bakers who bake bread. Yeah. And saying to a baker, oh, you know what? You can't speak up or you can't speak out or you can't uh, speak your mind because you're not there. You're not fighting, uh, fighting. in the trenches. That's not going to work. I mean, the same thing. We have diasporans who have given a million dollar or half a million dollar. And they're not multi-multi-millionaires. They have maybe two, three million. They've given. They've done as much, almost, as a soldier... Uh, who's doing their part, uh, not in the trenches, of course, because these people are risking yeah. their lives, but a soldier who's doing his part supplying or b- driving a truck, you know. I mean, everybody does their part. So, no, you have the right to say things. It's not that you should be in the trenches and uh, gain your right that way, okay? Number one. Number two, uh, wh- what was it? What was your question? I was saying that basically we should continue to just push forward. Yeah, yeah. Move forward because... You you basically mentioned it. I had no idea that the war was won and Levon Bedrosian basically yeah. drew a white well, flag and said... Get, get. It wasn't won, but it was uh, in our favor. It's like, you know what? I, I if we weren't winning, they, I'll, I'll tell you different... If we hadn't won or weren't winning, they wouldn't have... Let me, let me give you a proof. Yeah. Let, let me give you a, a brief proof. So there is this uh, uh, Soviet army general, Norat Grigoryans. Okay. Oh I'm sure you heard about him. He's I can call him a, a, a senior friend of mine. And uh, we had a couple of conversations uh, about these topics. And once uh, he told me, and I told him, General, I mean, he was the, the, the one who established the Armenian army after the war. And he was the 91 second... through 94, right? Yeah, and he was the second in command uh, of the Soviet forces in Afghanistan. So he's this big military figure in uh, Soviet history and in Armenian, uh, independent Armenian's history. And he's 90-something years old, but he's very sharp still. So uh, I said, General, why, uh, why didn't we go to the rivers? You know what his answer was? He said, well, you know what? I was standing on a hilltop looking in my binoculars, and I thought I saw the river, and uh, I thought we should push up to there because the plane was perfect, perfectly free and empty. They, everybody had run away. And I said, so why didn't you do that? And he, being the honest and absolutely char- this charming guy, he said, because I was stupid. And I, say, and I said, why? He said, because I was not a politician. I had no idea about the history. I had no idea about the strategic importance of this thing. I was just a general carrying out orders. And he says, you know what? Their Petrosian told me, Pull don't back. push forward. Stop. And he says, if I knew the utmost historical and life-saving or life-changing significance of these territories... I would push forward without hesitation. I would disobey every single order coming from Yerevan because nobody could stop me. Disobey at that time is just you don't answer. You the don't same, have exactly, basically. exactly. The same thing was done by comm- Commandos, the general, uh-huh. except he was successful in doing it. When Ter Petrosian was in Iran, he pushed forward with Vazgen Sarksian. They conducted this operation, wedding in uh, in the mountains, and they took Shushi, which changed the whole dynamics of the war. So this is how it happened. Now, if, again, this is, you raised also a very important question. 
and made a very important statement. We should understand if we stop now, everybody wants the war to stop, right? I want it to stop. You want it to stop. Nobody wants to lose any more guys. But we should understand one thing extremely clearly. If we stop it now without registering gains, some terri- and gains can be only territorial. That's it. That, that, that's, that's, that's something that, that connects that's land sim- to Artsakh. That's the symbol of victory. The victories are not uh, moral, right? We have this moral victory uh, issue in Armenian history. We say, well, that was not a victory, but it was a moral victory. It's, al- it's almost a nonsense. Now, if we don't register this kind of victory, or at least advances, if, we, if we're unable to break them or destroy them, we at least should register some gains. If we don't do that, we guarantee for ourselves a future even deadlier war where we're going to be losing even more people. So it is strategically and politically and militarily way better and the only way to save ourselves from a future war to finish this one by going moving forward, not to stop it by a ceasefire, by a truce, or by any kind of all treaty. All those soldiers would have died in vain. What, what would be the point of all exactly, yes. exactly, exactly. The point would have been that we defended the whole country. We didn't give much, or we didn't g- give uh, a it's lot, not or we didn't give anything at all. I don't know which one is going to be the case at, the, uh, at that point if that happens. But then there's no point for this. I mean, these deaths are going to be in vain, and they cannot be. Too much blood has been shed, and it's extremely valuable blood. 18, 20-year-old, and everybody's a hero there. I want to tell you guys also one thing. Let's not separate and say this guy was a hero, that guy was a hero. I understand the significance of that. We should understand every single Armenian with a weapon is a hero now. He's an absolute hero now. 100%. The whole people are heroes now. So uh, we shouldn't be just saying, oh, this one is a hero, this one should get an award. We will sort things out after the war. Now every single guy, people who deliver clothing from Yerevan to the front lines are also heroes. Yeah. Everybody is. And, so, and sorry, the one thing that a lot of you should understand and a lot of people, you know, everybody who's listening should understand is take a couple steps back and understand this. We're, we've basically almost lost and God willing, everything pushes forward and, and we, we come back as winners but um, we've basically lost three generations of boys in a matter of what two weeks three weeks you're talking about year 2000 2001 and 2002 born kids when you when you hear the year 2000 2001 2002 you think oh you know it was a couple years ago this is our generation these are 18 19 20 year old kids that we've basically three generations, guys, three generations, future generations, and future that, generations that will never be born. Yeah, we've lost in a matter of two weeks. How could we basically roll over and say, eh, "Well, you know, it was a good try"? No, no, we can't. I, I, it's it baffles me because it's. I look at my younger cousins who were born in two thousand, who were born in two thousand and one, who were born in two thousand and two, and I was like, I remember, you know, playing with them when they were kids, and you have these same kids on the battlefield fighting for our country there's no there is no ceasefire you push forward we should also understand besides that very good point thank you but we should also understand one thing strategically they have a national idea they don't need Karabakh. they need armenia gun 
to unify. Look at them. They came from China, from Altai. They created a homeland for themselves. They destroyed the local people. They established the country. They are expanding. They are an expanding, ever-expanding force. They need our territory without us. That's forever. Unless they are divided, they are weakened, and they are gone as a unified, strong countries, we are going to be facing this existential threat non-stop. Our point must be to try to uh, help the natives of Azerbaijan to do their work from inside. We should guarantee them independence. The Armenian government, uh, the Artsakh government, the Armenian some parliamentarians did good stuff by talking to Talish people directly and calling on them not to fight and just pass to our side and guaranteeing them safety and, uh, you know, hospitality. But that should become a state policy. We should create a new Armenia in the future after the war, completely new Armenia, because we never created that. Even after the revolution, we didn't create a new Armenia. We called it a new Armenia. It wasn't. It wasn't a new Armenia. When you say create, what do you mean by create a new like Armenia? Like reshape. Uh, we new should laws, new bylaws. We should rules. come up with a real ideology, with a national ideology. We should become just like Israel became after the Holocaust. When they came up with never again. We can't do that. No, we, we can. We no, can. we can. No, we cannot go kill people for no reason. Well, I'm not going to go into those things. I mean, we should... Uh, take the stance, we should adopt the ideology that, you know what, guys, we don't care about who thinks what about us, who does what about us, what international community says, this is our interest, we're going to pursue this, 100%. And we should arm ourselves, we should pursue this, uh, or the whole idea that I said, the First Republic, the territories, and etc. We should uh, limit the speech of the people who saw treasonous, who disseminate treasonous ideas. Yes. And all of those things. And, anyway. I think, and I think fund, fund, fund. Yeah, and Look what's should... happening in Israel, man. Is, and you think Israel is becoming Israel because of just their GDP? How much, how much you money? You think it's coming from a fundraiser? It's coming from your tax dollars. Come on, man. I got to get it. Yeah, but we need, we, need, we need to get allies who would give us their tax dollars. You know, and we have that capacity. Look at the diaspora. Yeah. I think we're powerful enough to... But to also, let me tell you this. We had two former presidents who are being accused by many in, uh, in, in serious corruption. 100%. Why we never did something to recover that money and direct it towards the army and new weaponry? Uh, you, new technology. You, you have to ask us that question. You have to answer that question. Because we were too velvety after the government. You think we're Change. too... Change. After, after, after the revolution. You, do you think we're soft now? We're too soft? We have been soft. I mean, it's, it's, it's out of discussion. Nobody, nobody even questions that. So a lot of people are asking. They're saying, what is Tavish, what right? You so remember the Velvet thing? Of course. But what, you were part of the Re Velvet Revolution. Yeah, but I wasn't Velvet. No, no, I was no, no, the no, toughest no, no. one. That's, I why I became, <laughs> that's why I became hated by them and I became the I radical. Know. They called me, oh, you're so extreme. Oh, you're so radical. What do you suggest? We put them in jail. What do you suggest? We take all the, all the money. It's going to be the... Uh, re-dissemination uh, of the capital and of the money. And I said, yes, if it's corrupt, stolen money, we should take it by force, return it to the state coffers, and direct it towards the army and the country. Well, I mean, how do you let the oligarchs who became rich because of fake monopolies, artificial monopolies, who became rich because they evaded taxes, whose whole capital is just stolen money from the people that never entered the coffers of the public... How can you let them run free? 
and tell them, oh, we're for unity, we're for peace, uh, inside do, peace, and etc. Do, do you think Pashinyan the has or had, had the power to do that, though, as far as, I mean... I, I will tell you this. Pashinyan, in the aftermath of the so-called revolution, because in my belief, revolution never happened, unfortunately. I thought I'm participating in it, but then I saw it's not a revolution, it's just a change of power, change of people. And I've said this at length. We're glad Edgar's not here. That's, <laughs> a, different, that's a different topic. Uh, well, minded Pashinyan had every tool in his arsenal to use. He had such immense support in the aftermath of the revolution. Support he could from do who? For, from pop people. He could do anything he wanted to do. Anything he wanted to do. So the answer to your question is yes. He had all the power, he had all the means, he had all the tools to do anything he wanted to do. Did he do it? But, but, well, let's... You know the answer. Let's take a step back, though. If it was just a change of power, whether he had the power or not is irrelevant because it, 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 the people could have been by, you know, behind him, by his side, but that doesn't mean anything because if the revolution, in, in essence, was not truly a revolution, it was just change of power, that means... It was all coordinated. How could he have the power can, to do anything? Well, you have the power to do because you have the public support. That's power already. And if you have the idea for systemic change, you can do without any hurdles or any, any difficulties. Nobody's going to criticize you. Nobody's going to stop you because these things are expected from you. That's your power, that you deliver what's expected from you and you use the whole you know, toolbox that's at your disposal. But do you think, though, as far as, again, going back to the revolution, there, there had, he had to have had some type of uh, support, support, backing, whether it be U.S., I don't know, England. Can we? Well, there was no Soros. external. There, there, there was no. No, no. What Soros? <laughs> that Soros thing is such a joke. I mean, Aliyev calls the revolution financed by Soros. It's such a ridiculous thing. I mean. Don't overblow Soros's importance. Soros is a in don't, my in don't my, go down the rabbit hole. No, in my personal opinion, that Soros Soros is all, almost a demented, uh, you know, elderly person with his crazy ideas or whatever that is. He's t- pumping money around, trying to do something. But who is he to run the Armenian people or to, you know, uh, direct Armenian people to do the revolution? This these things are so insulting towards our people, towards mm-hmm. our individuals, even. Yes, there is a foundation there, and I'm not going to go into these things. That's the topic for another day. And also, what could have been done? But I can tell you and guarantee you one thing. There was no external involvement in the revolution, at least the second part of it. Let me put it this way. Second this part? sounds enigmatic. Well, he did prepare for three months. Pashinyan admitted to preparing for three this, months. This, this, this may, may be sounding a bit enigmatic, but we'll, I promise you, if you're interested, we may talk about this. We will talk about this after the war, when we have uh, an open field for political discussions, and then I promise you we can talk about it. Not a problem. Perfect. No. But so, can, we, can we get it to one of these co- couple of these comments? Sure. Because... There's there's people basically, Levik and multiple other people basically commenting saying the same thing over and over and over and over again, and you you probably would know the best answer to this is why are we not reaching out to Russia and saying help us? Do you want to? Gosh, these guys Armenians are so smart. I mean, this is a million dollar question. This is not a million dollar question. I think it's I think it's the most silliest question that any any of no. these people can ask no. though. No, that's the smartest question. Why you tell us? 
because everybody expects us to reach out and ask, uh, dear Russians, you're our only ally, not the closest. They are the closest, but also the only ally. Okay. Why don't we? Why don't you reach out and help us? Uh, we don't ask that question. That uh, that question should be asked publicly because those kind of things are not the stupid idea that many people have. All diplomacy is conducted behind the closed doors. No. Like details in diplomacy or in diplomatic relations are conducted behind closed doors. The major, big picture diplomacy is always conducted very publicly. Okay. Because you have to have accountability to our own people. Now, why don't we do that? I'm, I will say, I don't know, even though I think I know. Why don't we do that? But the issue here is Russia is the only ally we have. And I don't imagine any other country going into a war, being aggressed being subject of an aggression, going into a war with two major, very well-armed powers, all alone, maybe, yes, maybe not, maybe receiving some arms from your allies, but not receiving direct participation from your allies, fighting side by side with you and supplying you with very powerful weapons at this point. Uh, this is not, this doesn't look normal. Uh, there is no other country that does these things all alone. Of course, we know that we uh, say that we don't need any help. Uh, and I can understand that. And I'm not criticizing that uh, uh, approach of the government, by the way. I want to make this clear. This may sound uh, a bit bizarre, but I'm not criticizing the Armenian government for this at all. Uh, I know why the government says this. That's my opinion. Uh, and I have my own opinion of about course. this. But uh, it's not normal that we, we are forced to do that. This lets me guess or think that maybe there are preconditions for the help to come. Or maybe there is a long wait period before we bleed terribly and then the help comes. Well, let me ask you this. Obviously, there's a treaty of, between Armenia and Russia that was signed. Now, yes. the story behind that is Artsakh is its own territory. It's the not Hab, part of Armenia. The Hab, the Odekab. Yeah, yeah that's so this one. is also our yes. fault so, that Artsakh yes. is... So if Armenia, is Armenia recognizes Artsakh, would that be what Russia's been asking for the last two Russia weeks? Russia doesn't want that to happen. But if we'd recognize Artsakh as part of Armenia, we'd say this is Armenia, now come to our help. It would have been very difficult for Russia to say, well, you know what? Artsakh is not Armenia. Because Armenia says it is Armenia. And in that case, Armenia could ask to Russia, is Crimea Russia? Ooh. In that case? There's a lot of questions. But, see, but, but you you're talking about Russia, who's basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, you know it's all over the place. Russia is aiding Armenia and aiding Azerbaijan with weapons right now. Selling. Well, I'm not sure they are aiding Azerbaijan right now with well, weapons. Well, it's, it's everywhere. No, they have sold... For four billion once yeah, I mean, and that, some more I would later. Consider, I would consider no, that aiding, though. No, I know, I know. We're not talking. I'm talking about right this moment during the war. During the war, yeah. I'm not sure that right at this point they are supplying weapons. I'm not sure at all, for the sake of honesty and you know integrity. But they have sold, which is a major problem because I don't imagine a country selling extremely lethal, very dangerous arms to your closest allies, worst enemy. enemy. And now. I mean, I would like Russian forces to come in without any diplomacy with Azerbaijan, etc. To come in, that's how it's supposed to be in real, normal life situation. Come in, fight for us, fight with us. Because if they were under threat and they would ask 
for help from Armenia. Armenian forces, according to the treaty signed with, in the framework of ODKB, which is HAPK, yes. the, you know, the organization, the the uh, NATO type of thing that unites uh, Russia, Armenia, opposite Kazakhstan, of NATO and kind Belarus. Of thing, uh, I wouldn't call it opposite, but could be. I don't know. Well, how many of those countries in the HAP group are actually Turkic countries? Can we look at that? Uh, there is Kazakhstan. There is uh, Belarus. That's believed. That that's not Turkic, <laughs> of course. That's believed. It's uh, it's supplying. I mean, I just saw. If, was, you, if you ask me, I think look, Russia could could get involved in this, and this thing will be over by the weekend. But I think it has a lot to do with the relationship Putin and Pashinyan have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Putin is holding back because of that. Uh, there's, there's that a lot may of be part of it. Uh, there, there, there is suspicion by many that that may play a part. But we should also look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is a bigger policy. That may be part, maybe not. But uh, the bigger policy is something that Turkey and Azerbaijan are seen to be too valuable for Russia to go you know, all the way down and confront them. So, I don't know. At this point, we are uh, fighting fiercely. We are defending ourselves. We are a heroic people. Unbelievable acts are taking place. But you know what? Uh, no country has ever been totally victorious fighting two strong powers all alone, all by themselves. So this is something we should think about. It's, uh, I mean, United States of America goes to war the most powerful country in the world, always goes with allies, at yeah. least one or two. Of course. Always. France And, and never in their own lands. Let's remember that. <laughs> so France, France goes to war, always with allies. I mean, strongest powers go to war with allies. I mean, we are fighting very strong two countries, basically all alone. And where, where do we stand? And I don't know if you can talk about this or not, or if you have any connection in Armenia or in Artsakh, but of course where, I do. Where, where do we stand? Where are we? In which way? Militarily. In, militarily. On the battlefield. Position well, I, I would yeah. like not to comment on that. I right could tell you that what matters now, most of all, is the spirit. Yeah. And I can so. tell you one more thing. I think my opinion is that we need to pay attention, to, po- to pay more attention to air. Because this fight is predominantly taking place in the air. Yeah. We are fighting from the land. This is a very peculiar topic. We should, as a people, as a nation, and the diaspora should think about this. This is very important that we shift the balance towards uh, us. Aerial assaults, uh, basically. Being towards us being, uh, let me put it this way, predominant in the air. And I'm putting this very mildly and very diplomatically. But spirit-wise, I mean, guys are fighting like lions. Yeah. And mind you, they're fighting also, they're fighting also very seasoned, hardcore, hardline international terrorists, Islamist terrorists. Jihadists there are videos, and jihadists. ISIS, bro. Like, there are videos, question. ISIS and, yeah. So we're fighting global terrorism on the front lines in Armenia. Yes. All these countries, NATO countries, everywhere in the world, Money is taken out of their budgets on a yearly for global terrorism fight, including this country we're sitting in now. Where is all that money going when Armenia is fighting today against global terrorism? Where is that money? I guess your question has the answer in it. Silence? 
Yeah, because it's politics. It's all about. Po- but now this is there's one lesson we should t- we should learn from this all this issue and the question you say you raise. Armenians have a have a disease. It's a mental uh, type of disease in our mentality that we are diseased by thoughts of paying way too much attention to what international what international community says or thinks. And mind you, there is not. There's not there, there's not there is no such thing as international community. There are different countries. There may be majority in one issue, a majority in a different co- issue. I mean, China is part of international community. Do you think China and America always agree on the same matter? Of course not. <laughs> Do you think Pakistan and India agree on the same matter? Or Uganda and Australia agree on the same matter always? No. What is an international community? We represent it as if it's one single unity and entity. It is not. The international community is what you create for yourself. You create a friendly camp or you create an animus friend. Okay, uh, let's camp. go back to then, NATO, for example. Yeah. NATO's establishment. Established NATO just simply to fight the USSR. The existence of NATO was made yeah. to fight USSR and communism, correct? Yeah. Communism ceases to exist for the last 30 years. USSR ceases to exist for the 30 years. Why is NATO still around? It's Russia now. It's uh, China now. It's a lot of other powers now. I mean, don't forget that NATO had some operations uh, outside of uh, Russian area in uh, in different parts of the world. Reason I'm asking about NATO. It's now, a we treaty. have Turkey. We have yeah. Turkey as a NATO ally of yes. the United States. W- only two countries that have any type of outside. Material as far as military wear is from Israel and the U.S. You got the F-16s from Turkey, made in the U.S., fighting against Armenians. Not only, also Bayraktar drones that are very deadly weapons. From Israel. They're killing drones. From Israel. No, they're Turkish. Bayraktar are Turkish. But they are Israeli drones as well. Which are the kamikaze type of drones. Also, not only. Wow. There are ordnance-carrying drones but also kamikaze type of drones. There are all kinds of drones. That's crazy. And Azerbaijan is using them, like, I mean, the guess is that they have many. Let me put it this way. Yeah, so but I they're mean, being shot down look, left During and the right. last two weeks, uh, 30 flights from Israel. We are very successful in shooting them down. But also, mind it, this is the first war, drone war in the human history. And mind you, when the rain starts and the snow starts, those drones are going to be useless. Yeah, but then also the war stops. Uh, and you don't know if that's going to be in your advantage or in your disadvantage. That depends on which positions you will have. Because whoever has the, bed, the better positions, they're going to be digging in. Yeah. And they're going to be fortifying their positions. And it's going to be harder for the other part. So rain and snow is not, is not always good for all the parties. Now, uh, this is the first drone war in human history. There have been drone operations. We know United States is the leader of drone op- um, operations. A handful of countries, just a few produce drones, military drones, attack drones, killer drones, as they How say. How was it the first one, though? I mean, in Iraq, Afghanistan, are, it wasn't, we, are it was, we using drones? It wasn't, no, of course, but those are, attack and mind it, yeah, attack drones as well. But those drones have been used mainly as CIA operations. Even not Pentagon, which was previously controlling the drone operations, it was transferred to CIA, and those are drone attack killings, targeted killings. Never in human history drones have been used in a conventional warfare. This is an Armenia is always part warfare. of history some way, somehow. Yeah. Huh? So <laughs> this is the first time that an army wow. of, a, of a country 
is using drones as basically and essentially, according to analysts, the main weapon of the war. I think 80% of our casualties are coming from those drones. And that's why they're not sending a lot of the soldiers in the front lines, because it's useless. What I'm curious is, why can't... Why why aren't we able to purchase drones? Why aren't we able to use drones? Why That's aren't we able to utilize Army drones? Army has its own program inside, internal. Uh, not the best, maybe. i rather not comment on okay. that at this point. You understand me. But uh, that's that's a great question you asked again. Again, another great question. But that question should be answered after the war. But that's a question that we should definitely ask. We should so keep let me, in mind. So let me ask a war question then. <laughs> Hopefully it's a well, war was question. Was that mine not a war question? Not all, not all war questions will be answered. Question. Not all war that questions was, are We just good figured questions. out it's a post-war question. <laughs> I, wanted, I was hoping to get an answer today, but now I guess it's a post-war well, question. Well, we've question. learned it's a post-war question. I guess so. So, as I'm sure you're, you're aware, for how long has it been now? How many years have we been marching I- April every year? In the U.S. 105 years, I guess. Well, no, 30 we years. Okay. No. In okay. the U.S., 30 oh, years. I guess at so, least 30 years. years. Yeah. I know at least 30. Since I've been here, I remember I was a kid with the different Armenian organizations mm-hmm. we used to march. Um, but but looking at that and then looking at the marches that we've been doing internationally now all over the globe, uh, as far as the war goes, to, to raise awareness for what's going on, which is... Uh, you know, villages being shelled, right, in Armenia and whatnot, and the type of killings that you talked about, which is in hi- the first time in history where a country is being attacked by drones, literally. So considering what we've done for 30 years, which pretty much has been ineffective because, and you can touch on this too, as far as we had this discussion with Petros, how he mentioned that the, the genocide was recognized in 1920. Instead of us marching to re-recognize it, we need to try to maybe uh, resurface those documents from 100 years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Um, That's so a great question. if you can touch on that, and also as far as are these marches effective or is there something more effective, more significant we can do? Um, because, yes, it's getting some news coverage, some maybe even negative news coverage because we don't have, you know, the, the, the problem that I'm seeing is we don't have professional politicians who can sit down and in interview on CNN and MSNBC and see, like look, uh, look at our do. foreign no, no, minister, no, no. American no. flags, American flags. We need to have American oh, flags. I, I posted that today, and people are still. Well, that's not significant you, enough. You, one of my non-Armenian friends honestly thought it was April again. She was like, <laughs> I, I thought, I thought it was. Uh, she's like, isn't it yeah. April twenty fourth? American flag. These people need to know that America is protesting towards, uh, not towards. America is protesting for Armenian yes. recognition of the, you know, of Artsakh of Armenia. If they're protesting in France, take your French flags. If you're protesting in England, take your English flag. Yes, you well, use both, both. Both. You take US both. And but Armenia. there needs to be American flags. You didn't. Say, I get it. Our flag is beautiful. I get it. It's beautiful. But nobody love, knows the purpose of it. Though. Yeah, everybody. I'm telling you. About that, un- about that, you said about negative publicity. I'm one of those people that believes more in the negative publicity than I do the positive. I mean, look, LAPD said one of the most uh, peaceful 100,000 people they've ever seen gather up and clean up after themselves. But no one remembers the next day. You break down the... Uh, no, I don't believe in that. Stores, I just- you get more coverage. Lakers was champion yesterday. There was 60 people in front of Staples. Six p- co- companies were covering it live. 
Okay, because Lakers is a local sport. You can't compare. But yet that. they have okay. they tagged up so, everything in the area. Let me finish my question, and so Doctor Hyde can get to it. As far uh, what I'm trying to understand is how can we help our people better organize structure? As far as uh, we're just all over the place. You know, you've got these people being interviewed on the street who 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 have no idea what's going on. They're they're stating quote unquote facts that are so off the charts. It's making us really look stupid and, uh, you know. Um, so if you can help us understand as far as what would be a better approach as far how we can structure it, organize it, whether it's the Armenian consulate, the ANCA, whatever other organizations we have that really need to start utilizing the media because we haven't. Uh, these marches are not doing the job. Uh, it looks great on TV when you edit it, you create a montage, it's, it's you know, you get chills, it's beautiful. But I don't give a fuck about beautiful. We need to win this war, and we need the diaspora to help Armenia win this war. You know, I want to thank you for these questions, and I'm really, truly amazed by the issues you raised, because um, in the diaspora, unfortunately, well, I don't consider myself diaspora, unfortunately, or I don't know. Fortunately, I'm a high stancy just like you are. Are you dual citizen? Uh, <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. But I am a high stancy. Uh, so I'm not a spurkahai. Uh, you raise these que- issues and questions that very few in diaspora see. We look like unguided missiles, especially in this campaign and marching and uh, stuff. And please remind me of uh, your previous question also about the documents, and I'll uh, talk about that as sure, well. Sure, sure. Now, uh, Marching by itself, and I don't want to belittle anything, I don't want to insult anybody. It's great, we have this capacity, we have this patriotism. It is towards our ethnicity, towards our cause, and etc. Uh, uh, but the issue is that marching for the sake of marching, shouting a lot of random, not structured demands, going and protesting against CNN for the coverage only in Armenian, which they don't understand, yeah. And uh, in uh, Rockefeller, uh, Rockefeller Plaza in New York, uh, and uh, by the way, I have to tell you that unfortunately there, there have been very stupid parts in some people's speeches in New York where they have uh, said things like, I'm not quoting uh, word for word, but the meaning has been, and you can see it on recordings, that Christian people are being massacred in Artsakh and etc., which is the stupidest and the most damaging thing one can do in these campaigns. Because if you put the, uh, if you accentuate the religious aspect of this, which there is none, basically, maybe jihadis have a religious aspect. We don't have, and Azerbaijanis fighting us don't have a religious uh, uh, approach to this issue. Are we sure about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's not. They're not fighting because they're not trying to kill us because we're Christians. And you, even genocide didn't happen because we were Christians. It didn't happen for that reason. It happened because we were the native peoples of the lands, and they needed to get rid of everybody that, who's not native. They killed even Muslim Arabs. I mean, it's it's history. It's unconditional. This is. We shouldn't be discussing this now. Making this religious. We are risking or presenting this religious, which is the work of very illiterate couple of people, not many. I don't want to generalize this. We put ourselves uh, in peril in terms of uh, the Arab states that sympathize with us, that are deeply Muslim. We uh, antagonize Iranians, uh, who are Shias, of course, but uh, also the Sunni world. 
mind it, most of the Sunni world, not counting Pakistan, maybe Bangladesh, who has never spoken out about this, not counting uh, one or two other countries that side with Turkey in this issue, the whole Arab world, in majority, is for Armenians in this war. Now, if you bring the religious aspect in this, you cause the stupidest damage to our cause. And trust me, there is zero religious aspect. First of all, Azerbaijanis were never religious and still are not religious. They have religious extremists themselves, but those are the Sunnis who have been educated in certain places and they have become basically essentially terrorists. And now they have imported Sunni terrorists. Those terrorists from ISIS, from uh, Jabhat al-Nusra, which is uh, in It'll Idlib, backfire on them which, later. Is, which is Al-Qaeda, yeah, they, are, they have the uh, religious aspect, but they also fight for money as well. Now, religious aspect is absent. It's an issue of extermination of Armenians for the land grab purposes, right? Number one. Number two, we need to have an agenda, clear agenda. What, what do we march for? We march for just for reports on CNN. I mean, in the end, that's not, that's not the issue we should be fighting big time, right? We can raise that issue. But that's, that's, not, that's not ideologically wise in a bigger picture. What we should be raising as a question is for asking the United States to stop uh, providing non-lethal military aid or financial aid to Azerbaijan. We should be asking U.S. as a key NATO member uh, to reconsider its relationship in the framework of NATO with Turkey. Because Turkey is not an ally of the United States. We should be asking U.S. to put more pressure on Azerbaijan. These are the issues that we should ask. Going and protesting in front of Turkish consulate in L.A. or Turkish embassy in D.C. or in other places or Azerbaijani embassies and consulates. What does it give us? Nothing. They weren't even there yesterday. Yeah, what do we reach? Well, people yell in the street, those people are home. What, they're going to be stopping the war? They're going to be seizing the genocidal policies they're conducting? Of course not. We should be directing our efforts, our time, and time is money in America. We waste our time on fruitless things in the same logic that you just said, which is the April 24th. Instead of marching for Artsakh issues, raising those issues for all these years, we have done something that conventionally is very comfortable for us because we know, you know, recognition of uh, genocide. We have done that for dozens of years, so it's a ritual. Just like you said, people think it's April now because no other issues have been in the agenda. We have mobilized worldwide, and this is not only an American-Armenian problem. This is a problem in every single country where we have diaspora. But the blame for this I put on the Armenian governments, successive governments, because the policy in diaspora should be dictated by Armenia, dictated not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Armenian government should provide the diaspora talking points. Leadership. Leadership. And these things are, have been absent again because of Levon Petrosian's ideology, who was saying Armenia is a country. We should be dealing with Turkey and Azerbaijan as a country. We should be trying to establish good relationships with them. And diaspora should be in charge of doing the recognition issues, doing the other things that we as a country cannot allow ourselves to do. And we've been doing it since. Yeah, and we should understand 
that there is no such thing that Armenia cannot do in terms of Armenian interests and issues from now on. From this point on, we should understand that we should do everything. We should fight for recognition of uh, genocide, but that should be the last issue on the list because that's not going to change anything anymore. Enough countries have recognized, enough work has been done, and we should think about the reparations and the documents, but now we're very far from reparations. Now, we come to your thing that you said, we don't have many politicians who speak. We have no politicians uh, who are decision makers, let me put it this way, who speak what must be spoken. But uh, we have a lot of people now, and especially amongst the new generation, who know what should be done, who are unhappy with many things, uh, who start to refer to these international documents. Now, they have been neglected by the successive government starting the Petrosian regime. And you know what? Very important question. We have one single person in the whole Armenian world, in Armenian, in diaspora, who is the best and the only comprehensive specialist on the international treaties that have been in favor of Armenia. Of the whole Haikakankhantir, and I don't want to call it Haidat, not to associate it with Dash yeah, Haksun or any other party or any other organization. Haikakan Hartsihet Kapvats, related to the Armenian question. All the document, documental or document issue, we have for, for all of that, we have one single specialist, and he's being completely and totally neglected as a specialist by the decision makers for more than two dozen years. It's Ambassador Ara Papian, the former spokesperson of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Armenia, who has been the ambassador of Armenia to Canada, who's an extremely knowledgeable historian and political scientist, one of the most prolific people. And he is the only person who knows all the ins and outs of all of these documents, who has dedicated, who has basically sacrificed his position in the government to work on these documents. And he has always, and I'm underscoring it, always been neglected by decision makers because the mentality of Ter Petrosyan has been dominant in Armenia since Ter Petrosyan was in power. So this is one thing that we should base all our efforts on. There is a generation now that follows these ideas, and I am in the same framework. So we should understand that we have an extremely powerful tool. Again, I want to make one uh, reference to Israel. How does Israel justify the construction of some settlements in territories that are not internationally recognized to be part of Israel? They do excavations. They find... People still living in the house. They find, the they find uh, an inscription in Hebrew, 2,000-year-old inscription. And the Israeli government claims this as Israeli land because of history. They say, oh, historically, this has been Israeli land. This has been part of Judea. Well, look at all the churches. And we have everything. We have churches. We have documents. But we purposefully have chosen to totally ignore and belittle this very powerful weapon that we have in our position, which is the international documents, 100-year-old only documents, and the historical, the cultural presence of us there and absence of the enemy there. And I just said the word enemy. I want to stress it again. 
We, the Armenians, use the word Hakarakort for Turkey and Azerbaijan. And we're so wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Hakarakort is so politically correct. That's you, like you, Lakers Clippers. That's, exactly. That's Hakarakort. Exactly. You can be Hakarakort in chess. Yeah. Like adversary. So what uh, would they it be call then? us. They call us Dushman in in Turkish. Meaning. Uh, meaning enemy. And that's what everybody calls. I mean, each other is their enemies. We should call them by their own name. It's their enemies. Enemies. Someone wants this to kill is, you. They're your enemy, buddy. This it's is all. This that. is also related to linguistic mentality, right? We have so many wrong things that we say and speak during these days. So also, this is also one question that I would like to address to your audience. When you talk, don't say hakarakort. You know, say enemy, because it changes also your mindset how you approach the issue. That softness is what's killing. I mean, America no. calls everybody whom uh, America fights mm. enemy combatants, enemies, enemies. Who says the adversary? You know, the, uh, America calls Russia adversary because there is no war between Russia and America. Yeah, not yet. They don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> but going back to what you were saying as far as with Israel, Israel finds that you said a manuscript, something that basically yeah. says something. In and they he- claim in that land. And we ridiculize it. our historical proof. And you know what? These documents that I quoted, they are the same in the same framework by which Lebanon was established, Jordan was established, Iraq was established. There was never a state called Iraq. Iraq was the uh, variation of the name of uh, Sumerian, the Shumer, the Sumerian uh, uh, city-state Uruk, that they created after first world, uh, first world War as the country they put that name on. So that's the same framework of documents and treaties according to which First Republic was created with the, all of those territories. And we go after the, these ideas of Karabakh uh, independence, Artsakh independence. So why are we like not that. using Arapapian? Is it the fact that he's kind of a mellow, his personality? Is that the reason no, our leadership his... doesn't use him? No, no, no. I, no, no, it's ideological. He, he, has, uh, he has wide following. He has a yeah, very I, wide following. I follow him. People, people understand because he also explains step by step Point by point, extremely logically, very clearly, what is what, what should be done, what should be done to achieve here, what is the legal basis, the internationally legal basis, what are the ramifications of these treaties, what, what are the legalities, everything. Why don't we uh, follow as a, as a country and why isn't it a state policy? Again, because the exit point, the starting point is... Petrosian's ideology that has created and shaped a whole generation of politicians, a legacy that is enduring, that never dies. Because that's the mindset. And many people in Armenia and in diaspora, not being specialists of these things, think again, oh, Artsakh independence is good. Because it sounds nice. Of course, it sounds patriotic. But without going into the depth and the dangers, right? So the same thing. People don't have this knowledge. It's the decision makers who have to change. Now I believe when this war is open, uh, over and when we are victorious, most hopefully, we should absolutely reconsider our state policy towards whole this national issue. There is no way we can survive without reconsidering the approaches that we have had and that we adopted 30 years ago. We should just totally change the country. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Aren't aren't these documents also available at the uh, 
Ronald Reagan Library? Well, I don't know about a, per a particular library. I don't believe so, because Ronald Reagan Library is just presidential library. Mm -hmm. So presidential libraries are really some things, some institutions that are uh, containing either the presidential documents or well, some the Library of Congress stuff. would have that. Library it? of Congress has copies of some documents. Yeah, Library of Congress is one of the most important uh, libraries in the world. And Which the is largest. anti armenian in itself. No, I don't think so. Mm, I don't think you'll be so. surprised. See, I, I mean, you you talk about these things like so easily, so lightly, but I mean, I feel like you know, listening to uh, who was it? You said Arab Papayan, right? Uh, Papayan. Papayan. Yeah. Him uh, going after churches, historic churches, and saying, you know what, this was Armenian land, and I mean, it it sounds it sounds so easy, but I feel like. There's, there's no way Turkey, Azerbaijan, any of them will fold with us coming in and saying, well, oh, look. Of course they will not. But you, you need to, of course they will not. But we need to We're see, not but delusional see, no, no, no. to think they are. But see, is, like, for example, if we had a very strong ally, for example, a Russia, a United States, somebody who was backing us up saying, hey, listen, <coughs> push forward, I'm right behind you. I think that would be a better of course. step forward. I rather, agree with you. Rather than us going in and saying, hey, it's like, it's like David and Goliath. Look. I was holding your exact ideas maybe 10 years ago. And then in discussions with Arab Apian and with myself and doing some more research and getting deeper into the issue, uh, I came to the conclusion, yes, doing things by force is the only way to achieve real results. But also you need the diplomatic grounds. And because we are in, at a disadvantage by for facing you you see the world newscast right the news bulletins from world news channels and everybody says Karabakh is internationally recognized Azerbaijani territory controlled by ethnic Armenians and etc etc blah 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 now to fight these things you need to have a legal basis and show on international legal grounds that you have legal title to these lands that you have legal claims internationally sort of like recognizable claims how, how now strong will that hold up in in international court oh it's not gonna go to court exactly courts are it's it's an international mindset and political approach because if everybody starts repeating because of our fault 30 years ago that this is azerbaijani recognized territory and you never disputed it you accepted that it is azerbaijani territory but you claim you need to go self-determination way not territorial integrity way, not Azerbaijan's, but Armenia's. You never claimed it's a matter of Armenia's territorial integrity to protect these lands. You never put forward documents. You never claimed legally and historically because you ridiculized your own history. You said, oh, historical factors are nothing. That's why I brought you the Israeli example. So if you don't do these things, there is always going to be the pub public perception and the public opinion against your cause. And then you're going to be facing negotiations misgroup, pressures, and etc., etc. So then we basically did it to ourselves. At that point, of during Le Levon's time, we turned around and we said, well, you know, due to historic, not historical facts, but, you know, politically, oh, yeah, it is yours. We don't want to have anything to of do course. with it. But also, I want to I stress something else. Very, very interesting thing I want to say. Um, Israel, we know very well. Israel uh, annexed part of internationally recognized Syrian Arab Republic, which is called Golan Heights. So UN recognized and still recognizes the Golan Heights, which is a very important water resources uh, hub geographically uh, in internationally recognized Syrian territory. Israel seized it. 
during the war with um, uh, Syria. Um, and Israel said, you know what? There can be no negotiations. They were negotiating for some time, and then they stopped negotiating at all. They said there can be no negotiations. This is too important for Israel. Well, that's internationally recognized territory of Syria. We don't care. This is Israel now. So there was this pressure, and etc., etc., right? There were no documents claiming that, you know, no basis like Armenians have, mm -hmm. that those lands belonged to Israel ever, because Israel was created in 1948. So Israel was basing uh, its, uh, uh, its claims on historical terms only, like 2,000-year-old history. But what happened next? Israel, when Israel ceased negotiating... It ceased putting itself under pressure. And I'm not taking parts, neither Syrian nor Israeli. I'm just analyzing in a cold-headed way the situation we see there as something that Armenians can learn a lot from the situation. Yes. Uh, so when Israel stopped negotiating, they put themselves out of any possible pressure. Uh, what happened next? For dozens of years... Nothing happened. Israel developed the territories, and we never developed the seven regions because they were always seen as a pawn for international recognition by, started by Azerbaijan, right? This bogus idea that they will recognize Artsakh, Artsakh will be safe now, and in return of that, we will return, so-called return. Why return? I don't know. Return to Soviet Azerbaijan? No. It should be called give or hand it over. We should hand over those territories in, in return to that. Now, we never populated those areas. Israel populated Golan. And lately, a couple of years ago, the Israeli government said, listen, guys, we don't care what you say. Golan is never returning to Syria. We don't care about international treaties, about UN decisions, nothing. This is essential for Israel's existence. So we keep this. We have our water resources and etc. American administrations were successive administrations. were not endorsing anything that Israel was doing this they weren't stopping it either. No, of course not. They were publicly, they were not endorsing. Maybe morally they were for Israel, but they were never public. They were very cautious. Suddenly Trump came to power in America. Uh, and things changed for Israel towards very favorable. And suddenly this is a historical thing, an opportunity. And suddenly Trump, based on his personal interests, based on his family interests or whatever interests there were, I don't want to go. I don't want to go also, of course, of course, Kushner as well. Mm. And I don't want to go into the American politics part now because that's a different topic. But Trump recognized Jerusalem. Not, not only Jerusalem, but Israeli's sovereignty over Golan Heights. Essentially, Trump, as a president of the United States, in a historical context, in a historical period of time, came to the aid of Israelis and solved the problem for them, even internationally, even against all the resolutions and treaties and uh, documents and uh, international law. The you know. 16 So million. nobody from now on can really claim or force Israel to do to I mean to negotiate about those territories. That's Israel now. At least America sees it that way. My point is. If we had the ideological correct approach to the issue, we could have been holding it up for longest time until the moment comes and internationally it's being recognized as part of Armenia. So we have committed so many mistakes during all these years. I hope this war gives at least something 
positive to us in terms of bettering our understanding of the situation that we face. Uh, at least that should be uh, um, a point of reform for our approaches, for our ideology, for our policy. And if we put forward these documents, these issues, and we use people like Arapapian and the whole our you know, group, we can... What's the group? I mean, uh, you said it's, it's an informal thing. No, it's it's just people who have the just same idea. Just a bunch ideas. of Armenian people that no, work well, together. No, well, no, it's just it's not just a bunch. It's like specialists and also military people. Vahan Badesan, I hope you know. Uh, I know Vahan. a very close friend of mine. Uh, Is Vahan injured? By he's him? critically wounded. Yes, he he's he's. Uh, uh, Is he doing better? Was it, it was during the war, from what I know, right? Yeah, he got he got. Uh, Directly targeted by um, the enemy so. drone, directly targeted, and there are questionable issues around that. They uh, uh, people guess, people say that they targeted him, uh, knowing that he's in the convoy. He was heading for a very special uh, mission. It is believed, um, and uh, he was targeted. He's critically wounded. I hope he recovers, but. Uh, Vahan Badasyan, who's a commander, uh, a legendary figure of the first war. He has uh, one of the highest awards of the first war. And now he... He was wounded. just running for pre president, president, I think, yeah. in Artsakh recently. Yeah. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know much about Artsakh politics. Just yeah. a question. <laughs> yeah, he was running for it. So he also is uh, is a part of this movement. I would call it a movement, not even a group. Has nothing to do with Sasnatsar, uh, or work together, collaboration? Look, ideologically, there are many points of uh, commonality uh -huh. with uh, uh, with Sasnat Zarer, but neither I nor Arab Papian are members. Arab Papian is collaborating closer with them. Uh, I am just seeing them in the same ideological field. I am not a member of any party, and I don't believe I will be near future. Uh, maybe at some point, who knows what will happen, what party. Never say never. Yeah, what party, so I don't want to say that. But uh, ideologically, I see uh, Sasnat Zared as uh, very much, uh, in many, many points, uh, what comes to Armenian interests. Uh, Armenia-oriented, understanding clearly what needs to be done, and etc., etc. But no, the people, uh, Sasnat Zared are part of this ideology, of the movement, but this movement is way larger, or this group of people is way larger than a party or an organization or a cabal of people. No, this is this is this is essentially becoming a movement in Armenia. We started it. I sh I can say a year after two thousand no two thousand sixteen, right after the April War, and uh, Arab Papian I and Vahan Badasyan. And Vahan Badasyan was the initiator, came up with this idea to do the Shushi Harchakagi, Declaration of Shushi. So we went to Shushi, we adopted the declaration with a wide range of political uh, leaders and uh, political people, amongst them David Sanasarian, who got into the government after the revolution. He's on the front lines right now. Isn't, isn't he the one that was like He's in and out of the defense, office? No? No. Yes, yes. Sanasarian yes. was never. Yeah, minister. he was. He was under investigation on, in my belief, on bogus charges, but he left. He's he's on the front lines now. Uh, well, best of luck to him too. Yeah, his his friend just got wounded fighting next to him, so 
He was one of the most top-ranking officials uh, post-revolution period. But he's fighting. So, since we're naming people, Jake was asking about Vahe Avetian. Well, Vahe Avetian is unfortunately well forgotten. Very unfortunately, that's the military doctor who was killed by some people uh, close or under the, the restaurant. Yeah, at the Tarsnaka restaurant, and unfortunately, people didn't uh, didn't get punished. Uh, yeah, and that's a very sad part of uh, what needed to be done and never was done. So he was a freedom fighter against the uh, Soviet no. Union? No, 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 no. He was just a young uh, doctor. A young military doctor who was celebrating something in a restaurant and an oligarch's uh, people uh, had a conflict with him and they just killed him there in, in the restaurant. And uh, they essentially didn't get punished. Anyway, so this, uh, we, the three started this Shushi Declaration, which was about the uh, uh, the refusal to take the approach of the government of the time to negotiate based on major Madrid principles of Sir Sarkisian's government and uh, using the liberated territories as a pawn for the recognition of Artsakh. So we said that we were pretty sure that some treasonous things happened during the April War and we were pretty sure there was most probably a deal between Ser Sarkisian's government and uh, the enemy to hand over the territories through a war in what, 2016. What, what baffles me is how you how somebody could do that to his own people, to his own country. Well, we have had those things in our history. We have had but West, West Sarkis, we have had <laughs> Petros Getadars, we have lost... I, un I understand Armand just went like this, yeah. but... No, not, not only. I, I know, but how much money to lose... Your motherland and your people. Allow them to die. How but much money? You, you, you have to... I, I would compare them to, in a is sense... Is there a mount? You're asking me? Yeah. No, no, no. There, there is, there no, is amount. no amount. But these Some people, people put an amount the, These not. people are different, though. It's like asking, why would the uh, Rothschilds... How many people have they killed for power or... Whoever else you're talking about, you're what's, talking about wiping wiping out a culture, a nation, a country yes, off how, the planet how, of the earth. You don't think they've killed hundreds of thousands of your millions own people? Of people? They don't have their own people. That's the problem. You're telling me? Um, no, we're talking. About, we're talking about 2016. Yes, they don't. If they had their own people, they believed in that. They wouldn't do that. To them, it's not their people. The country was used as their own personal. Fifth them. Uh, yeah, and it was their own bank account. So meaning, they did okay, whatever you know what? the hell they wanted. As in, screw it. I don't. Uh, I don't need this country. I don't need this people. Yes, yes. Pay me X amount of dollars and do do whatever you want with it. Well, they were put in that place because of who they were, of course. Otherwise, look, the war ended twenty six years ago, right? We had twenty six years to rebuild the military, to rebuild the country. Why is there so much lack of trust for the Armenian government today from the diaspora? Because basically they... Have you invested a dollar into Armenia? You've been here most of your life. As far as in the past or recently? In the past. I'm not saying donation. I'm talking no, no, about... Like have you gone there and said, you know, I'm going to open up this retail store? No, of course not. Right? Why? Because I've heard a lot of stories. Okay. So, I've so heard stories from personal people who wanted to open up a hotel mm -hmm. and... It was taken away pretty much. I've heard of stories where people opened up what they were wanting to open up and as soon as... It was profitable. It just didn't belong to them much longer. 
I mean, I, I don't know. But let's all man. hope that with Nicole in power, all of this could change. Like, I mean, what is going on right now as far as businesses, as far as financials in Armenia right now? I wouldn't like to comment on that, but I can tell you that it's very, very difficult now. Even way more difficult than the coronavirus had uh, created the situation. Like, this is, this is all-out war. This is... Many people in Armenia call it Hayrenakampatarism. Mm-hmm. You know what Hayrenakampatarism was called before this? What the World War, II. World War II. And Armenians as a people lost the most, the biggest number of uh, uh, citizens in the World War II uh, after Russia and maybe Ukraine. But we lost about 600,000 people. Uh, being the tiniest, the smallest republic. It's crazy. Uh, and Russia lost yeah. like 30 million. Yeah, right? but that's not the issue now. We uh, are calling this now a Hayrenakampatarism because everybody understands how, how, how serious this is. This is not a war that's uh, being fought for some territories or something. This is war for survival and for destruction. They want to destroy us. We want to survive. This is all about it. It's, it's black and white. And you were speaking about things that I speak easily. And it's like many things are black and white. And believe me, many people claim that... The why, why isn't it being handled black and white? Because people are Politics. not always smart, wise, or specialists, or willing to listen to other people, to specialists, to people who have different opinions. Be- because people, many people, many people are just stupid. And we have this myth that if somebody is in somewhere, if somebody achieves something, if somebody makes billions, if somebody runs a country, if somebody uh, is a famous guy or a famous entrepreneur, he's smart. No, many, many, many of these people are extremely stupid. They're just lucky. They just did something right without even thinking about it. So why? I mean, we Armenians have also this tendency of thinking, or maybe there is something we don't know. That's the reason for that. It just looks like, you know, the uh, prehistoric people would look at the lightning and think, oh, this is this god that did it, or the other god that was fighting the other god. You know, while it's just uh, a meteorological, meteorological thing. So The sun god, the lightning god, yeah, the cloud god, yeah, the rain god. Yeah, but, but the reasons are so simple, because we don't know doesn't mean that the reasons are not simple f- for what's happening. Uh, my point is uh, many things are black and white and many things that have such simple explanations that we refuse to believe in them because we cannot believe that... It could be that simple. Yeah, it could be that simple. <laughs> so I want to tell you guys about something I told my dad. We were having a family discussion about a week ago. I said, Dad, why do I have a feeling like when the war was happening in ninety early 90s, Majority of Armenians were leaving Armenia instead of fighting. So if that generation went on to go all the way, as they should have, today you wouldn't have a generation of people worried about drones falling on them. When are we going to have that generation that's willing to go all the way and fight? Do you think this is the generation? I think that it's not a matter of generations, honestly. Or people think, has to give that fight. I think one way I or think another. I think every single generation that we ever had throughout the history, even those that, that have lived uh, through completely peaceful times that have been very short, of course, unfortunately in our history, every single generation has been a fighting generation. We have this ability to destroy ourselves when we are uh, at, peace. In, in, at peace in a time of peace. 
you know, all this uh, self-destruction, all this, you know. I mean, I don't want to go into this, especially in this moment. Yeah. We know this. Every Armenian knows this. But when war comes, when existential threat comes, and unfortunately we are one of the very few people in the world, maybe one of the two, that for the past thousand years faces a constant, permanent threat of being wiped out. Extinction. Yeah. So we are under existential threat permanently. And whenever time of active war comes and we're under attack, we unify like hell. So this is on a DNA level. This is on a national DNA memory level. Sort of unexplainable level. Yeah. Unexplainable level, but it's also explainable because it's a, a survival instinct. So that's why we may not be the best uh, soldiers during the peacetime in the world. Some other armies could have like best equipment, best trained soldiers and etc. But when the war comes, a simplest guy from the street who never held a weapon in his hands becomes a lion, an unstoppable guy, an unstoppable weapon himself. Nobody can stop him, even the best trained fighters of the enemy. That's an instinct, that's something inexplicable. I hear and see stories of people that I knew of young, I mean, children of my friends who died, who unbelievably did something you could never imagine. This kid, this 18-year-old, you know, kid who was hanging out in the street and doing nothing. He went on and he did something. He, he sacrificed his life. And uh, you could never expect this, those things. April War, Robert Abajan. He, uh, he, was, he was a guy who was like, he was, you know, he was a simple guy. I don't want to go into the details. But he wasn't going to become, uh, you know, a scholar or something, right? I think he was in the dentistry industry. Yeah. He wanted to be a dentist. But he did something that the best trained people with the strongest spirits wouldn't do, many. It's our national identity. It's part of us. It's in our DNA. We don't know we have this. It comes out during the times of extreme crisis, like the one we are in right now. We unite. Not only unite. We're not, we're not really united always, but it's more than that. No, no, it's, as far as you were saying, in yeah. crisis, every day. I don't, what, what we're trying to say, it's not, it's not uh, you can't feel it, you can't touch it, but it's there. And you can't even properly explain it, yeah. probably. It's intangible. It's intangible. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, sir. That's why he makes the we, big bucks. <laughs> we, we actually had couple, a couple of questions about sure. whether or not you think the uh, U.S. will get involved in this. And if so, <clears throat> would, it, would the administration make a difference? Whether Trump is reelected or Biden is elected into office, is that going to make a difference for us? Because some people feel that the timing is so off for the U.S. You know, we're a few weeks away from the elections. Maybe that's why Trump's not getting involved as much. Or um, if Biden was elected, he would be more uh, prone to getting involved if Russia doesn't or even with Russia. What are your thoughts as far as whether the administration in the U.S. is going to make a difference? And if the U.S. will get involved at all in this conflict? Gosh, 
I'm so impressed with the questions. We need another four hours for this question. <laughs> and it's, yeah, well, I'll try to be I brief. You, Hike, you weren't expecting this. Uh, I wasn't, but, I, but, but, I'm, uh, but I'm happy to do this. And this is a very pleasant conversation because I have to tell you, it's, uh, it's not always pleasant when you are talking to journalists or reporters or people who are not very well versed or who don't ask very wise questions, but I see that even the audience comes up with great questions that need to be answered because they're, they are, they are out the there. The audience are smarter than we are. They're we're we're, we're the numbnuts. They're the wise I ones. guess you're working in, in, in cooperation. <laughs> anyway, yes, that's a very good question, so thank you for the question. I don't know who, who it asked, but who asked it, but uh, here's the thing. Uh, I see you wear a Trump hat. Uh, I lost my Biden hat, that's what. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had so a did Biden. We had a barbecue on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, but I have, uh, um, I have to disappoint you and tell you that Trump is an isolationist, which means that uh, in terms of foreign policy, America is in deep re retreat. Uh, especially taking into consideration the Turkish issue. I mean, Trump uh, has always been on very good terms with Turkey, despite certain uh, uh, certain things that he has said uh, related to Kurds and etc. that has been dictated by the rest of the American establishment in the D.C. inside the Beltway. Uh, but when you have an isolationist administration, you minimize. You have a minimized influence in the world and you try to stay off things and you mainly work on your own constituency inside your country which we know it's the middle america is the midwest and etc but that's internal issue now <clears throat> if there is an administration change in washington if biden is in power biden is going to be back uh, and uh, and it's not biden biden maybe it's, it's mainly gonna, a harris administration maybe, maybe it's going to be harris administration who knows but it's even better for us Armenians, I believe. So uh, they're going to be increasing their involvement everywhere, and they'll be trying to push uh, American participation and create or recreate some counterbalance to certain world powers where America has retreated. Because isolationist foreign policy, again, means that you are passive in places where you have played before. So it also means anti-war in a sense. Uh, Democrats have been in wars, have gone to wars, but usually but the democratic attitude... what Trump attitude is doing right now is pulling everything <coughs> out from yes. other words and focusing that same money to the internal issues, uh, which he promised and ran on that platform. That's what he told the I people. Don't, well, we're talking Amer American politics now. I don't personally think he's redirecting that money towards internal policies. Uh, that's, that's a very wide issue. I don't want to touch that. But yes, uh, he's not getting involved in too many conflicts or in any conflicts. But that doesn't mean that uh, his administration is a peace-adoring administration. No, definitely not. Yeah. Democrats have gone to war, but Republicans have gone to war more. Mm -hmm. They're more interested in different wars in different parts of the world because that's military-industrial complex, that's the oil industry, that's the gas industry, that's the uh, you know, private uh, mercenaries industry. The huge industries are involved. The medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry. So the, the heavy-duty old type of industries have always been 
connected way more to Republicans than to Democrats. But again, that's, that's a proven hive, fact. These are all assumptions, though. No, they're are, not assumptions. They're course. facts. No, they're not. How they're are not. They, I mean, what facts back that up, though? You have the Obama administration who, on countless times, Obama said it in front of multiple people saying, you know what? As president, I will recognize the Armenian genocide. Everybody backed him up. Everybody jumped on his bandwagon and said, you know what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Turns yeah, out the Senate and that was the American policy, not Obama policy. Everybody has always denied, uh, uh, I mean, the notion of recognizing Armenian genocide openly. Eight, but he said it took him eight years to Reagan, say. Reagan, yeah. It took him eight years to say there was a genocide that happened in 1915. There was a genocide that happened. Why are we talking about this? Years. Like you said, no, no, Reagan no, 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 was a different said, issue. No, Reagan no. said the genocide happened. Why are we asking every no, damn no, no. president what to I, say no, this? No, it's not about that. It, what I'm, um, let me get to my point. The Biden administration or the Harris administration, whatever it's going to be, I, I, I personally believe it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be them stating certain things and not backing it up. Uh, it's gonna. It's to some extent, yes. Nothing is gonna. Nothing will change. No, to some Turkey extent, will always be an ally to the United no, States. No, no, you should under. No, not always. You don't know that. No, first you don't know that because Turkey acting erratically, especially towards the United States. Don't forget that they purchased the S four hundred systems from Russia, and the United States was enraged. Now they are trying to use it. Nobody knows what kind of weapons. I mean, there are. Turkey is getting closer to Russia. You must understand that. Uh, in this context, an isolationist administration is not going to counter that. While a non-isolationist administration is going to be either pressing Turkey, putting pressure on Turkey, or just pushing it out. The only reason, you don't know what's going to happen. But the, the only thing reason is, why I say it is because we cannot count on the United States backing us up ever. 100%. Ever. No, matter, no if you can't it, say, it, never no. say never first. Haikchan, you, you, you can't. What, number one, they are thousands and thousands of miles away overseas. That's number one. Well, okay? America has no always natural resources. I know. So that's, that's America num- that's, doesn't go anywhere with okay. money. Not but that's, that's the number one reason why we can't trust America as far as with, with Armenia, that is. Yeah. Another, no matter Democrat, Republican, I don't care what party it is. You could be a Trump supporter, you could be a Biden supporter. You can't. You cannot let go of Russia's hand and grab America's hand because if America lets your hand go, Russia will let Armenia fall. Look, I'm not talking about... Am, 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 am no, I wrong? That's, yes, you're wrong some, somehow and, and in a so way you you're would, wrong. Would, would you let Russia's hand go if America is backing you up? The issue is do we have Russia's hand? Of That's course you do. Issue. No, you no. only have your oh. own hand in this We're world. Fighting, we're fighting. in this is war Russia, alone. Is Russia yes. not one of our biggest allies? It is our biggest so and the only Ru- ally. But would you trust Russia or would you trust America wait, in a situation wait, like this? Wait, I, you may call me the, your biggest ally, but you're in a fist fight in the other room and I, and I stand by and I look at you and I just deliver you some napkins and some band-aids and I don't come to your aid directly. It raises an issue whether I really am an ally or not. And that's after right? you've been beat up. I can, I can still be your friend. I can still be on very good terms with you. But that raises an issue whether I am willing to risk my relationship with the other party you're fighting for, this, for your own sake. Because you're my closest friend. But that's the issue. Now, it is not about advocating for the you know, closeness to United States or Russia. It's not about making a choice. We're talking geopolitics here. And in geopolitical terms, when you say America is never going to come to Armenia's aid, that's not com- never, not never. What I'm saying I is, I guess you said so. No, what mm-hmm. I'm saying is, if, no, what I'm saying is, if you trust America, if you do trust America, and you let Russia's hand go, and you and America basically screws you over, 
Russia is not going to take you back. Well, it's not that simple. Does, the international relations doesn't work that simply. The, First of all, you establish some stronger relations, some mutual interests. You establish the boundaries for those interests. And it's not letting go. Nobody says let Russia go and become your enemy. I am against antagonizing Russians and I am against presenting Russians as Armenia's enemies. I am against that. Russia is a superpower. It has a huge stake in the region. It has a huge stake in Armenia, in Azerbaijan, in Turkey. You cannot ignore that. That's a fact. You got to deal with Russia. You got to be friends with Russia. The issue is what do you do for Russia to do what they are supposed to do? What they are expected to do, what their duty is, not to sell arms to your enemy and etc., etc., and to come to your direct aid when you really need it. Now, when it comes to America, you cannot say we cannot trust America to do that for Armenia. Of course you can, because you don't know what kind of changes in the situation in the region will happen. I'll give you an example, a theoretical example. Maybe... So at some point, Turkey does such a thing towards America that it's, been, that it's thrown out of NATO, that it has huge conflict with America. That may happen. It's very realistic. Maybe is it not safe this to say year. NATO is USA? Uh, most probably, oh, yeah. Now, if those kind of things happen, what is America going to do? America is going to be looking who to support to you know, create problems for Turkey or for Azerbaijan. If Azerbaijan is basically becoming part of Turkey. So do you think them the U.S. moving the uh, nuclear plant from Turkey to uh, Greece is a significant move or no? Military plant or nuclear plant? Bro? Military, sorry. Not military. Uh, military. That is extremely significant if we're talking about Injury Lake. I am not completely sure that's happening yet. But I think that's a big uh, possibility because Americans have never forgotten that during the first uh, Iraq war... Turkey refused uh, to, to let them use, to the let them use uh, not only in Jirlik, but also the Turkish airspace, mm. which means that Turkey is being regarded as an unreliable partner for the United States and NATO. But why, in this case, is not being banished from NATO? The reason is very simple and very cynical, because the Western, the NATO partners' approach and philosophy is they are bad partner, they are not really a partner, but at least in the framework of NATO, we can manage them or somehow a little bit manage them. Or use them. Or use them. And if we throw them out, they're going to be completely out of our control and they're going to be with Russia. That's what the NATO approach and mentality is, and this is no question that this is the mentality. They themselves, I mean, certain people inside the NATO speak this openly. Yes. Now... Sorry, <clears throat> it is nuclear bombs... I was correct. It's not the uh, military. It is nuclear. Yeah, that's From why I said I'm not Greece. sure about Inchir Lake, but uh, yeah. I mean. Uh, but so, so my question, you, I mean, a lot of our audience thinks you're brilliant. Some disagree with you. Something your, you know, your point of view is on point. So I'd like your perspective on: Do you vote for a president based on? how it's going to benefit the U.S. or Armenia? Gosh, another great question and difficult one. Well, I have to tell you this. Because uh, Trump has been called a nationalist, right? And you kind of... I don't think he's nationalist. To me, I mean, sorry, what, I know you're, you're a you Trump You said supporter. isolationist? Is that what yeah, you used? Yeah, but that doesn't mean a nationalist or pro-American. Okay. If you ask me, I mean, mm -hmm. and I'm 
I assure you, I'm not going to go into a discussion with you about Trump. I'm not going to turn this into. Nor a, do I want to. I'm, yeah, but I just want. <laughs> yeah, if you ask me, if yeah. you ask me, Trump uh, is not a nationalist. Trump is not working for the benefit of the United States. Every single policy that I see mm-hmm. is not for the benefit of the United States. It's rather a pers- for, for for the personal benefit. But that's my personal sure. opinion. Now. <clears throat> The question was whether... By the our, way, I, I disagree with you on that million percent. I know but, you disagree. But we're not going to... It's yeah, not because we're I'm not, wearing... We're not going to talk about that. It's that's not because I'm not wearing the, the Trump hat. Yeah. And yeah. I, I could go into it a million ways, but I yeah. want that's your... A, that's, I a want different, your yeah. that's a different, I want your, that's a different sure. I want your input as far as how do you vote for sure. president. As Armenians, that's what you mean. The Armenian community. Mm. Uh, first of all, uh, it's a logical issue. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said I don't think he's working for American interests. Uh, in this case, I believe the Armenian ethnicity part and the American citizen and the good American part coincide in big way. In my belief, if you ask me and my opinion, I know there are many, many Trumpists out there, Armenian Trumpists, who are like very, very strong Trumpists. And uh, Trumpist. yeah, that's a Trump- term. Trumpers. Yeah. Trumpists. Okay, that, that's is, again, that's the is, term I is, came up again, with. We're, just to rephrase, yeah. your opinion. My my opinion uh-huh. is so I don't want them to get uh, insulted or offended or no, 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 you know not. fire up. I'm this very is my opinion. So be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Opposite. My opinion is because it co- coincides. In my personal opinion, and my analysis shows that it coincides. Uh, I would suggest that uh, Biden Harris administration is going to be very much in uh, in the same direction. Good for America. Good for Armenian issues. Uh, I have no doubt about that myself. But of course, uh, I mean, you can't force those things upon people. That's my analysis. That's my point of view. But you didn't ask my question. And I truly believe it. Do you vote based on what's best for U.S. or Armenia? Armenia. You ask me personally? Yes. Because you're smart. You're, You're smarter than the average guy. You know politics better than... All three of us combined. All basically. of us and probably our whole audience combined. Let me tell I you mean... this. <laughs> Let me tell you this. I didn't vote in the past elections, presidential elections. I have voted for uh, New York uh, local elections in New York because sure. I'm from New York. Yeah, and Did you vote uh, for Cuomo? because uh, I am I am in California. Uh, of no. course, of course I did. <laughs> well, you're wearing blue. Yeah. I wasn't going to vote for a Republican. <laughs> and by the way, Cuomo is a, is a pretty good governor. Cuomo oh, is a pretty good governor. proved it to us, my friend. Yeah. You know what I do for a living, right? Yeah. I could tell you what he did to my senior population in New York, but I'm sure you know what he did. Wait, let's discuss that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. so, so we how, needed how 30,000 <laughs> ventilators. That's what we needed. We needed so 30,000 ventilators. How do you vote? You vote based on what? Well, uh, I told you I didn't vote for the last election. Right, forget about... Forget the last... Yeah. Let's yeah. Forget 2016. Yeah. Forget about... We're not even asking let's you keep, who you're... Let's keep the American questions. Let's keep the American questions. I told you, as, as uh, American Armenians, uh, Americans of Armenian descent, of Armenian ethnicity... Uh-huh. Because I'm going to be talking about this thing only. It is, uh, it is imperative mm-hmm. that we understand that both coincide. The both interests coincide. So, so let me ask you this. If, and of course, if you vote in... Listen, if mm-hmm. you're an American, if you vote as an American, mm-hmm. and the policy towards Armenia is not clear, you vote right. what's, what's good for America, of course. If you're an American citizen, how, how, how else are you supposed to be- vote? Because, because the comments you see on Facebook is, I can't believe you're an Armenian, you support Trump. 
What does that have to do with anything? I don't live in Armenia. Well, it does have a lot. Because Trump has businesses in Azerbaijan. Trump is very much connected to Azerbaijani ruling family. Okay, so if I'm November... If after the, the silence of last two weeks tells me I'm not voting for Trump. That's I fine. told you the first day, it was like last fine. week, I said I won't vote for Trump. You can and vote. I won't vote for Biden either. Okay, so you're not you voting for is actually... No, I'm going to vote <laughs> for Joe Johan Johnson just to make sure <laughs> neither one of those two steals my go- vote. You're, you're better it. off not voting. I understand that, but I don't want my vote going to neither one okay, of them. Okay, so if so November 4th, whatever, whenever, whenever he's re-elected, let's say... Um, you're sure he's going to be re-elected? Can't be I'm, sure. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm almost sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But let's say Unless let, there's let, something you know that we don't. Let, let's assume he's reelected, and on November fourth, we find out he's reelected. He calls uh, Erdogan and says, "Get the fuck out of Armenia. You have 24 hours." What are all the Armenians going to do? Oh, now I support Trump because he. Well, and he's the only principal president we have that could do that. He's the only guy he that could. I would expect he that. Because he's unexpectable. He, he could. Are we, are we all of a sudden going red? Listen, he could. No. He could. no. no. Hypothetically, he of does Of course that. not. See, Haikjan, no. you, you just said it. You said he could, <laughs> just like Biden. No, no, but let me finish. I said he could, but he never gave you science he's going to do that. And Biden and Harris have? But he didn't promise. See, yes, that's the they difference. Because Biden has spoken out against the Turkish involvement in this war. And Trump has kept total silence. Did Biden speak about it when he was in office for 47 years about no, it? Doesn't doesn't does it? No, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Look, it doesn't matter. It's better. What about the 10 years that he was in office as vice president? Years, let me tell you this one. <laughs> no, he let, said let, 10. let me tell you this. One speech, one statement that's been put out is way better than zero statement than nothing. We have that one statement already. Like we can't live with statements it's, anymore. It's, statements it's, are not getting wanna, us anything. You want to push Washington? You no, 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 no. I would say let's leave U.S. politics out. Well, of course. But, but he still didn't answer it. my question. No, I did answer. As an American, you should go and vote. No, no, no. Forget What's it. good for America? Okay, perfect. Now okay. that's one. The yeah. second question was, if Trump tells Erdogan to go kiss where the sun don't shine on November 4th, are you going to go out and say, hey, all your Armenian guys, women, families that hated Trump because he was against Armenia or didn't speak about Armenia. Now you have to support Trump? Are you going to do that? Or you think anybody that's a Biden supporter is going to do that? I still will not support Trump because because I see a way wider picture and it's not because... So, I mean, then, so you answered then, my question. Yeah, but the you know conversation what? should but end you know on what? that topic but right he, now. There's yeah, no... no, but you know what? A person who speaks that, who says that, he's going to be good for America as well. The person who doesn't speak that is not going to be for, good for America. You're ta- but Haikjan, you're talking about election now, what if Biden year. does that? What if Biden s- says that to Erdogan? Are, are you, you had the chance, brother. No. That's the problem. No, no I'm so, not. Because, because to me, it's not only about... Again, I'm a U.S. citizen. My family lives here as much as I care about Armenia. Uh, and I, I probably do more for Armenia than most people combined. But th- that has nothing to do with American politics. American politics is American politics. I have to do what's best for my family here. I can't think about my fourth cousin in Artashat or Abovian or wherever. Uh, is Trump going to really do what's right and is he going to get a college degree? No. Uh, so ultimately, I make a decision, like you said, what's to the best interest of the U.S. So if Biden does do that, great. I, I'll applaud him. I'll say I support you. And I'm not a Republican, by, by the way. I'm a conservative. I don't belong to a party. Same here. So, okay. So, uh, but but I don't. A lot of 
Trump supporters will applaud Biden. I don't think Biden supporters will applaud Trump if he does tell Ed- Ed- Erdogan to. You, you know, say go. if he does, he will not. Unfortunately, he's the only one that has no, even a five percent chance of having that tone with him. Everybody else is. But again, he has kept silence. The, you know. He he hasn't even pronounced the word genocide. He has avoided it at all costs, and he, he never, never showed. Listen, of he, course, but the fact is, he's never been pro-Armenian. What did he say in 2019 on October last year? What Trump. to Erdogan? To Erdogan. Why did he say that? You know that had nothing you know, to do with Armenia. nothing to do with Armenia, but. It shows you that he no, will no. take those steps No, forward. no, 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 no. I guess not. He was being accused by his own administration, because we need to know the context, the political context. He was being accused by his own administration okay. for betraying Kurds, because he betrayed Kurds. He betrayed Kurds. He let Kur- Turks come in and murder them. I understand. But the American allies. Did he take a That's step, why- though? Did he take a step forward? No, he, did- no, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't take a step forward. He just spoke those words, and he let it there. And just like Biden has spoken those words. Again, it's better to speak the words and not cause damage than not to than to speak words and cause damage or not to speak words and but cause damage. But everything Trump says causes damage. He tweets one thing, everybody loses <laughs> their mind. Well, that's a different issue. My point is, if somebody is for Armenia, it's the same framework. That, that means the same, the, the same person has the intellectual capacity and the policies that are also good for America. They are not directly correlated. There is no direct connection. But that's in the same framework of the personality and of the policy direction because Armenia is a very friendly country for America. It doesn't matter how close Armenia has been to Russia or any other country, how well the relationship with Iran is. Armenia is an American... Uh, uh, natural ally, let me put it this way. Armenia is not an ally of America, but it's a natural ally, which means interests coincide on so many points. Of course, but Turkey is still an ally of America. Formal ally. And, and Turkey is not a natural ally of America. I that's think, why it's crumbling. The, the relationship I, is crumbling. I, 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 I prefer, the, if, if that's what it is, I want to be their formal. I want, I'd rather be the formal ally. Because the formal ally is getting more done today. That's than a the... different question now. That's a different question now. That's the policy issue of Armenia now. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to go into this. And I promise you, if you remind me this issue, I'll uh, discuss it later. Hi, you're going to be back. But <laughs> Thank you. Next time without a mask. But yeah, Armenia... We want to see your face. Yeah, we really want to see your face. <laughs> yeah, the, eyes are, the eyes are amazing. We had a lot, <laughs> Green eyes. We had a lot of comments about your mask. I didn't want to share it with you. I guess. Bad Make comments, it, yes, I guess. Very bad comments. <laughs> a lot of them had to do with double masks. But, I mean... <laughs> well, bet, bet, better be safe than sorry. That's, First, uh, Everyone should. Well, like, we'll have COVID conversations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have had friends uh, with complications from COVID, so I'm trying to yeah. stay as safe, safe as, as possible. possible. There's nothing bad. I mean, if I wear a mask, that's maybe aesthetically not very appealing, but at least it saves uh, health or maybe life. Mm. Who knows? So yeah, I mean, we, we can work. all do our part. We can do our that's, part. That's besides. Well, I yeah. think we should. So leave, sorry leave that Ameri- offends somebody. No, let's leave no, no, American no, no, no. politics out of this conversation. No, the point was. My point was. I just want to finalize that. It's not only that America should uh, do some steps uh, to get closer to Armenia. Armenia also should have thought of making the relationship yes. better, of a better quality, of more substantive, uh, outside of the nice words and nice gestures and etc. All of that is protocol. But see, that goes We're talking back to, about substance. Which goes back to what I was saying is they don't want to let Russia's hand go. 
But why? Russia's not going to stop you from See? taking 10 or 20 of the Congress Listen, people and you, taking them to Armenia. No, it's Russia because Ar- beca- I personally believe it's because Armenia is afraid of tarnishing a relationship with Russia, saying, okay, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of your hand right now. I'm going to go to America. And America kicks them to the curb because America is allies with Turkey. Again, by no means I'm anti-Russian, but I want to ask you. Doesn't Russia right now tarnish its relationship with Armenia because the whole Armenian public sees that we're fighting alone? Russia doesn't give a shit about anybody else. Who calls anybody but Russia. themselves? So why would we, in the under the existential threat, give a damn about who thinks what? Because, about like us? you said, they're the closest ally to us right but now. Closest ally doesn't mean on a paper. Who else are you, you going to trust? Again, B- because we, but we don't. Well, it turns out trust. nobody at this point. But you Only should ourselves. work. That's the problem, yeah. Haik Chan. That's no, the but problem. But you should work on creating trustful allies or turning your closest ally into a trustful ally. Right now, we're at war with two countries: Azerbaijan and Turkey. Yes. No more it's, than that. Right now, it's not the time to sit back and say we should have, we should have, we should have, we should have, we should. Of we course, should. it is time because after the war, there is going to be Armenia. And there is going to be once future. The, once the war is done, and God willing, we do win, that's when we need to reorganize and be like, okay, who are we going to be kicking to the curb and who are we actually putting on our side as an you actual... You can't kick, uh, afford to kick anybody to the curb. You're not internally, the, what else are you, you going to do? Look, if you think Russia is not assisting Armenia right now, I think... You're out of, of your co- mind. I, yeah. I've said it since yeah. day one. I'm not talking about assisting. Again, I, I underscore this. I said maybe assisting somehow, somewhat, but I mean full-time support, just like Turkey supports Azerbaijan. Mm-hmm. We don't see that. That's a no, fact, no, guys. we don't. We don't see that, of course. And we had to see this. That, that's what was expected. That's what is expected and should come from a close strategic ally. Stalin, who gave our lands away, was doing it under Russia's name at that time. Soviet Russia, Soviet, yeah. but Soviet still, yet Russia. His, his motives were different, but yeah, it's it's. I think it's a complete restructure of Armenia's ally system, a complete restructure of hopefully government as well. Because, like you were saying, it's it's a soft government. Look, if you're gonna be afraid of Russia not liking the case that you're talking to Ethiopia, for example, trying to become an ally with Ethiopia, which is a major player in African African Union, African Union headquarters in, mm-hmm. is in Ethiopia. It's a huge country. We have very, very respective diaspora there. We had contacts again through Arab Papian and the Tamar Kevorkian. They're going through trouble now in Ethiopia. They're going through. It doesn't matter. That's a huge country. That's a continental superpower. In African terms, if we are afraid of talking to Emiratis uh, before the war, let let me put it this way, or to Saudis, if we think, oh, Russia will get jealous, Russia will not like it, and then we don't have all those helps, and we don't have a full-time, full-force military support immediately, just like Turkey does to Azerbaijan from Russia, we need to reconsider how we interact with the world. Which goes back to my, my statement. Armenia is afraid of letting go of Russia's hand. Why? I told you, because they're afraid. They don't trust anybody. People are afraid. People are Because ultimately... You you don't let go of Russia's hand. Russia's still not helping you. What do you do? I'll guarantee you after after this war, Armenia will continue to hold Russia's hand and say... But again, it's not about about letting go Russia's hand. You can still hold Russia's hand. And nobody's advocating for letting Russia's hand go completely. No. Hold a few hands is what it's, he's saying. Hold a few hands first. Have some alternatives. Not depend on one 
parties on one side's you know, mercy. Number one. Number two, establish a dignified relationship with Russia. In that case, Russia will value Armenia as much as it values Azerbaijan. I hope so. But that's what Armenians shall do. And I am famous in saying that we shouldn't blame for the problems with Russia, Russians. We should blame ourselves. Because if you position yourself in an undignified way for 26 years, nobody's going to respect you. Your closest ally is going to pursue their own narrow interests. They're not going to be bothering thinking of causing themselves a little bit, a tiny bit of discomfort for your sake if they don't value you. No, I know. I know what you mean. mean. But Azerbaijan has played extremely independently with Russia, has been friends with Russia. Russia has multiple times called Azerbaijan a partner, a strategic partner, not a strategic ally. Armenia has been strategic ally. Azerbaijan has been strategic partner, which is also a a, a very important thing. Pretty high up there. Yeah, pretty high up, almost close. And... Because Azerbaijan has flirted and played and gotten closer to Turkey and has behaved very independently, Russia money, has though, put money. huge value on Azerbaijan. But it's Besides, all money, though. Well, I wouldn't call it that because in major politics, money plays a lot of role, but big role, geopolitics. But also, there are also issues where money cannot play an, uh, a role because there are some issues that are bigger than money, believe me, just like in human relationships. So it's not... Everything is not decided by money, even even in human relationships, right? We know people yeah. who may refuse money for some principles for their close Absolutely. people and etc. Same goes with the countries. It's a very wrong notion that people think that, oh, money decides everything and economics decides everything or interests decide everything between the countries. Not everything, maybe 95%, but there is still 5%. That's some people, some powers look in perspective of history, of coming history, of generations, they look very far. Some people, like Chinese are like that. Mm. They, don't, they don't think in money terms mm. only. They think strategically. They think centuries ahead. How do you feel about China putting in $15 billion into Armenia? $18 billion, isn't it? 15. Well, uh, China has a huge potential of becoming Armenia's friend. Top ally. Close friend. I don't think that's going to backfire. I mean, I don't think we should put, uh, you know, grades on different countries, <laughs> top ally, non-top ally. No. Armenia chi- has no other choice than to get more, more allies. More more. That's the issue. And good allies. You know, China is an adversary of U.S. China has some competition with Russia as well. So we should be threading a very careful needle. I feel like we're at the bottom of the totem pole right now. Literally, (laughs) Armenia is at the bottom of the totem pole. We have no allies. We have no friends. We're fighting a war with two superpowers right now. But guess what? There is good news also in this. We're not losing it. We are not losing it. Ru- spirit is winning this. I, know, I wouldn't I be surprised if Russia comes in and claims the victory as, as <laughs> I helped you win the war. And then what do we have to do? We got to hold Russia's hand again. Do we have more questions? We have... Well, Ara made an interesting comment, which I didn't know. He, he said uh, Harris's husband works for the LA Piper lobbying group for Azeris. Were you aware of that? I am not really aware of that, but uh, that's not. That's not a big major issue. That's not gonna. That's not gonna no, play. No, no, not at all. Ivanka Trump having a uh, perfume line in Azur. No, no, it's not perfume <laughs> line. Trump, Trump's hotel. Trump has a tower there. Yes. Two towers. And Trump has had huge dealings with Agalara family, who are 
I mean, Emin Agalarev, who's a Russian singer, but he's Azerbaijani. He's the son of the uh, uh, billionaire from Azerbaijan. He was married to Aliyev's daughter. They divorced, but they are still on very good terms with those, presidential family. When were those family. towers built by Trump? In, in, in they, he didn't build them. They were licensing deals. Oh. Yeah. The Trump Towers in Istanbul? So if we go and look around about the connections, well, he's, he's a lobbyist for them. If Armenians pay more money, because lobbying is all about money, he's going to be lobbying for Armenia. Have you seen what our lobby does? All one-sided. When you're lobbying for a foreign country, shouldn't you have interest in both leading parties in that country? That's the wise way to act. Why are we not? It's only democratic-focused lobbying by There us. comes the question. Are we wise enough? Anything that's else? why we should reconsider. Is there anything else we want to touch base on? I hope you come back here, Hike. No, no, no. He's Amazing. coming back. Hike's got to come back. When you say hope... Oh, the guy might fight Armin in the next month. How do you know? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, we've had that's, a conversation. That's possible. Are you, are you, are you, I know you said you were in New York. Are you local? Do you have, do you have a residence? I'm in, ca- I'm in California. LA now. right now. Permanently? Um, at this permanent. point, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's gonna keep coming back after maybe after he, November third. He's not 3rd? going back to New York until Cole a, there, becomes president. There's a, there's a lot. <laughs> there's, <laughs> after there's, November third, there's, there's a lot of people that, that are going to be, be bad. That wouldn't be bad. Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of people that are going to be coming reason. back to the. Po- <laughs> there's a lot of people that are going to be coming back to the podcast after November third. So we would definitely love to have you back after after, after the war. Yes, after the war, hundred percent. Because there's a lot of things that. Once this is off, that we're going to be talking about, obviously. Uh, and then after the war is over, we want you to come back and confirm a lot of those things that we talk about as well. And God willing, uh, Armenia and Artsakh uh, will be victorious by then. Sorry, uh, Harit had a question he's asked several times. I uh, uh, wanted to, me to ask you about the sanctions on Turkey when Pastor was in prison. I'm not sure what he's referring to. Well, there was a pastor, an American pastor, who was in prison in Turkey. Uh, Uh, There were no sanctions. There was some diplomatic pressure. Trump put some pressure on him. him Of course, because that's such a good playing card, you know, showing that, oh, I saved the Americans. He he might have even paid them some money or something. Who knows? That's Trump. But he got it done. Hike, we can agree that he gets things done. And whatever he promised, see the United good States things, always let's always not go, go back okay, to let's American not go back. politics. Okay. Can we not go back yeah. to American let's politics? Not, yeah. Let's not do this. Let's not. Hi, John. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday. Thank you for having and me. And being yeah. so patient. Thank you for we seriously. Yeah. I was. We had technical was, difficulties, yeah. and it wasn't <laughs> supposed to go the way it went. But I felt so embarrassed, and I'm, no, I'm sure all three not, of us not. felt embarrassed and bad that we were like. My God, we have our we have our second segment guest here sitting. We're trying to figure out our first one. Oh I mean, Andy, you could have joined us in, <laughs> in a mask. Double mask. Double mask. Double mask. Hi, John. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday to join us. We really, really do appreciate me. it. We're definitely going to have you back uh, after the war, after November 3rd. Hopefully it's soon. Hopefully it's soon. Hopefully it's before November 3rd. Shit. After uh, the victory, let let me put it this victory. way. Victory. God, love that idea. God willing. Uh, guys, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being patient with us as well. Yes. Um, follow us everywhere, guys. Instagram, <laughs> YouTube. Our, this video is going to be basically put up on YouTube. I might cut out the first section of it, though. The first 15 the minutes, minutes of, of technical, 15 of technical <laughs> difficulties. But thanks for being patient with us. Share this. Uh, like it. Continue to comment. It's going to be, you know, it's it's live on, uh, it's going to be on our Facebook page for as, lo- as, as long as we don't get censored. So 
have a blessed week. Have a great weekend as well. We'll see you guys next Monday with another special guest. Anything you want to add? Anything you want to add, Hike? No, I just want to thank you for very interesting questions. I want to thank the audience. Uh, and I want to tell you that I'm pretty surprised uh, that this went this well. We're I not mean, as dumb as we look. No, no, no. <laughs> we're we're going to give you two shirts today. No, I didn't <laughs> give you two shirts today. It's just, no, it's just in the diaspora, we not always uh, see or understand the depth of the realities of Armenia. We only scratch the surface very often. Not always, of course. So it is, of course, we have very smart and wise people the in the diaspora. The lions have awoken. Yeah. But the, the, the general attitude is, of course, it's, it's also on, because of objective reasons. People are busy. It's an American life or French life or Italian life. People don't have much time yeah. to, 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 to go deeper. And when you see... Uh, people who have deep understanding of what's happening it's always kind of surprising but pleasantly surprising and i appreciate that a lot and this was uh, one such occasion so thank you for having me and thank you for this uh, opportunity to discuss these things at length in english because uh, i guess this is a field that we should work more uh, for in uh, giving more information to our english speaking audiences to the diaspora so yes. thank you Thank you, Thank you everybody. Thank you all for the uh, intel intelligent questions as well. Don't forget, well, donate, donate, donate. And guys, be hold your composure with some of this media stuff that's going on as well. Um, you know, I know there was an incident with some of the CBS employees making some very, very racial comments towards the Armenians. Uh, let's not show up at their private homes. Let's not do anything stupid we're going to regret. Be smart about it. Um, carry because, American flags. Yes. And please, when you're driving out there protesting, carry an Armenian flag and an American flag so that people know that. And if you're in France, carry French and an Armenian flag. Australia, carry an... Do Australians have a flag? Of course they do. <laughs> Jesus Christ, bro. I was going to be like, did, did you have like a brain fart for a second? I'm kidding, bro. Uh, you gotta... I know, I know, I know. Lighten up the situation yes, a little yes. bit. Thank we'll you, everybody, for yes. joining us tonight. We'll see you guys next Monday with another special guest. Have a great week, Peace guys. Out.